before And my time was running wild A million dead end streets And every time I thought I got it made It seemed the taste was not so sweet So I turned myself to face me But I've never caught a glimpse I'm much too fast to take that test Ch-ch-ch-change it Turn and face the strain Ch-ch-change it Don't wanna be a richer man David Bowie starting our show today, I thought in appropriate fashion, because, you know, there have been just a few little ch-ch-ch-changes on the show this week, and I know that you have noticed them, because I've, I've heard your feedback, I've received your emails, I've read every one of them, and I think responded to most, and I am so glad that you are so engaged in this show. It is something that we pour our hearts and souls into every single day. And frankly, without your participation and interaction, it wouldn't be the show that it is. We love hearing from you. We love knowing what's on your mind. And oftentimes what's on your mind ends up turning into a story or getting some action from elected leaders and others in our community. So thanks for all of it. You ain't seen nothing yet. Wait till next week. Oh my goodness gracious. No, it's all been good. The feedback has been overwhelmingly positive to this point. And who doesn't love a little Bowie in their day? Uh, Seven minutes after nine on this Friday morning. Yes, it is Friday. I had to double check. The 5th of January. We had a nice change yesterday, didn't we? With the sun that was blazing by this time. Now, Denise Andriacci told us this morning during all news mornings with Mark Douglas and Luke Schultz that the sun was coming out today. I'm holding out hope and I'm also, I'm believing in you, Denise. So come on now. It it seems like the sun's going to have a tough time working through that gray sky right now, but we're going to get there. I'm confident in this. We're going to see the sun for a a second consecutive day after not seeing it for about two weeks. How nice was that yesterday? I I mentioned that it is Friday, and I had to honestly, as I was driving to work this morning, it just felt so weird. But I guess muscle memory or routine is a funny thing, isn't it? And I've been doing broadcasts of Kitchener Rangers games long enough that Basically, if I'm at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium, it must be Friday. Like, it's as simple as that. And I know we've had Sundays on the schedule for a long time and Tuesdays on the schedule for a long time. I cannot recall a time other than perhaps a playoff season when we've had a home game on a Thursday night. But there we were last night. What a crowd we had as well. It was a terrific turnout Obviously, the kids don't have to be in school, so that helps uh, a little bit for sure. But just a great crowd in the arena to watch the Rangers struggle a bit against a tough club from Saginaw. The Spirit win it 3-2. to two. But it was lots of fun at the arena last night. And it occurred to me, because a lot of people were asking about the oddity that is a Thursday night home game 
for the Kitchener Rangers. And, you know, in the bigger picture, it works out pretty well for Kitchener because they get to use today as a travel day to get up north so they can have games against Sudbury and North Bay on Saturday and Sunday. And so while you do love your regular home nights, Kitchener is one of those fortunate teams in the league. We call them one of the quote-unquote have teams as opposed to a have-not. I think you could play a Kitchener Rangers game on Tuesday morning at the Memorial Auditorium and fill the place. That's the kind of fan support we're lucky to have in this town. So one other thing I just wanted to add to this. Last night was what they called the next-gen game at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium. So there were a bunch of youngsters around uh, getting the chance to shadow members of the on-ice and off-ice staff for the Kitchener Rangers. So there was a junior head coach, a, a junior UC Ahokas last night. There were a couple of junior trainers. Uh, there was a, a young girl who helped on the public address system with Dave Schneider at the arena last night. And we had a young fellow, uh, 12 years old, Ben Grimwood, who goes to Breslau Public School and thinks he might like to be a sports broadcaster someday. He was in the booth with me and Paul Fixter for the second period last night. And I'll tell you what, this kid's got some chops. He knows his hockey, and he might make himself a very fine broadcaster someday. So, Ben, if you wait just a few more years, we'll make room for you anytime in our booth. And I say that because I wouldn't mind hanging on for a few more years, my old and wearing out self. But it was a lot of fun to have been uh, with us for part of the game last night. All right, let's get to Farwell's five things that you might want to know about today. It's the And those five things include regional police who are on scene, as you heard this morning on All News Mornings, of a reported shooting in the Secura and Munch Avenue area of Cambridge. We've got a reporter on the way there, and we're expecting to get an interview with regional police about 9.30 this morning, so not long from now, and that will enable us to uh, bring you some more information uh, about what it is that's got that rather large police presence in Cambridge this morning. Today marks a second day of victim impact statements at the sentencing hearing for Nathaniel Veltman. That's the man convicted of killing a Muslim family in London by running them down with a vehicle. Now, among the statements today will be one from the 11-year-old who survived that horrific attack two years ago. Nusaiba Al-Azim is the Director of Legal Affairs for the National Council of Canadian Muslims and She spoke outside the courthouse in London yesterday. During the trial, we learned a lot about the ways in which online and social commentary, an almost culture of hate, you could call it, contributed to the offender's radicalization. We listened to his statements to police where he said he wished his extremist actions would serve as a message, firstly to Muslims that they and their faith were not welcome in this country, and secondly, as a message to other like-minded individuals that they need not acquire any sophisticated weaponry to violently target Muslims. A truck was enough. With enough hate, anything could be a weapon. The third thing on your Mike Farwell Show 5 today that you might want to know, two men from St. John, New Brunswick, have been acquitted of a murder they were charged with almost 40 years ago. These men 
always maintained their innocence and they have finally been acquitted of that crime. Number four, the first selections for the NHL All-Star Game have been made. One representative from each team. And you know, I know you know who's been picked from the Leafs. Austin Matthews! Austin Matthews! Austin Matthews with the game winner! In overtime! Oh yeah, Austin Matthews and his 30 goals will be at least one representative of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And number five on your Farwell Show, five things you need to know for today. A senior in Tavistock who's been a crossing guard for about five years has been suddenly removed from her post. Lee Wittig, also known as Grandma Lee, went to her usual crossing location on her day off before the holidays, dressed as Mrs. Claus, and handing out candy canes to the kids and parents that she regularly sees when she's on the job. However, Wittig now says East Zora Tavistock Township has called that a dangerous distraction, and they have reassigned her to a different crossing location. Lee Wittig says she just wants her happy place back. It is 914 on this Friday morning. Can we just explore that a wee bit further here to try to understand what in HE double hockey sticks the powers that be in East Zora Tavistock Township are thinking? So you have here someone who has been a loyal and faithful servant as a crossing guard for about five years now. If Tavistock is anything like the region of Waterloo, and I suspect it probably is, it's not easy to get crossing guards. In Cambridge, they're talking about all kinds of things they're going to try to attract more people to what is a really important role here, right? So let's consider that, first of all. And then consider the fact that this woman, before the holidays, just wanted to spread a little bit of holiday cheer, hand out some candy canes. There are photos of Grandma Lee hugging these kids and parents. They love her. And for this, the township is going to reassign her to a different location. Two things here. One is, if I'm Grandma Lee, I'm saying, I want my regular spot or I'm not coming back. And number two is East Zora Tavistock Township. Could you please, if it's not too much trouble, remove your head from your derriere here and fix this situation and fix it but quick. I I can't be the only one who thinks Grandma Lee is getting bamboozled here, right? Honest to goodness gracious, it's the Grinch that stole the crossing guard's location in Tavistock. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. The head coach of the Kitchener Rangers is going to be pretty happy. You see Ahokas hails from Finland, and it is Finland with a 2-0 lead on Czechia at the World Junior Hockey Championships this morning. I suppose Canada should feel good about this, too, because it was Czechia that knocked off Canada, right, and eliminated us from medal contention. Now the Finns with a 2-0 lead in the first period 
of their game to decide the bronze, I believe, is what they're doing today. So the Finns out in front, uh, eight minutes into the first period, up two to nothing. I'll keep an eye on the game for you as we move through the show here today. But I'm still really, as much as I want to keep an eye on that, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what on earth they're thinking in Tavistock, where they remove this poor woman from her crossing guard's position simply because she was handing out candy canes. Oh, perish the thought! What a distraction! Distraction! Standing on a corner, handing out candy canes. Good grievous. Anyway, I'll go to the phones and talk to you this morning. Jersey Bill, good morning. Hey, listen, yeah, I was just going to mention, uh, you know, it, it seems interesting that today the USA and uh, the uh, juniors is playing for gold. Well, Billy, why are you rubbing it in? Huh? What are you well, doing? And then, and then you had this, the surging, <laughs> the, the host of, the, of this year's Memorial Cup, the surging Saginaw spirit winning last night. And, of course, to top it off, you have that great American uh, from Arizona, Austin Matthews, representing Toronto in the upcoming All-Star game. Wow, Billy. Going to, now, uh, now dominating Canada sport. Well, now hang on a second. Hang on a second, Billy. What about our boy Connor McDavid there? Eh? Fastest player ever to 900 points. Come on. Okay, you know, as I've always said, I mean, this, 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 is, this is really the way it works. I mean, the fact is that up, up here, I would guess about 80 to 90% of the people and the young people are still really interested in ice hockey, if not as a, as a player, as a spectator. And down, down in the States, it's probably maybe at most 10 to 15%. But when you, when you take those numbers out of the population, they're pretty much equal. So it's always going to be a great rivalry as we see in women's hockey. So I'm just I'm not trying to rub it in. I just thought it was sort of interesting that these that these three phenomena were happening in the same week. I hear you, Billy. Good luck to your Americans today in the gold medal game. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of them have Canadian dads who uh, <laughs> took American citizenship or they became Americans through birth because all those Canadians go down there and. Uh, and essentially uh, become Americans uh, during their national hockey career. No question about it. Thanks, Billy. Have a great day. Very good. <laughs> nice to hear from you, as always. And I'll just use this as an opportunity. We talked an awful lot in Canada with Team Canada, wondering why Carson Rakoff, the leading scorer in the entire Ontario Hockey League, and, of course, a goal scorer, that is, and, of course, a member of the Kitchener Rangers, he didn't get a lot of ice time with Team Canada at the tournament this year, and many of us were asking questions. I'll just remind you, as Team USA plays for the gold today, uh, they have a really good player that they decided not to take, who also plays for the Kitchener Rangers in defenseman Hunter Brustevich, who picked up a couple of assists. He assisted on both Rangers' goals in that loss last night. But I think Brustevich got hosed in that regard, too, notwithstanding the fact that Team USA is going to play for the gold today. Joe, over to you. Good morning. Morning, Mike. Hello, Joseph. Yeah, um... I was at the game last night, and I was uh, about two rows from the glass, and I thought that slew foot call was ridiculous because I was closer than the referee, and I was sitting at a higher vantage point. So that kind of handed the game to the other team, and uh, I don't know where. There was a bunch of questionable calls last night. I thought that was ridiculous. Yeah, the and the slew foot, the, it, that was a tough one. I, I got a look on the replay, and uh, listen, I don't think it was a dirty or an intent to injure or anything like that, but I think it was close enough that the officials erred on the side of caution, and that's why they called it the way they did. Well, uh, I, I didn't see it that way. Uh, I was right there. I was close to the plate, so it was right in my corner. 
uh, yeah, so anyway, um, yeah, I came up to see you and uh, Buddy wouldn't let me in. I guess he didn't realize how important I am. Didn't you tell him who you were? Well, I tried to, oh. and you know, he, he had a hear, he had a hearing aid in, and it was it was uh, it was sketch. <laughs> Joel, if I if I may. I think you should just make sure that these people who are protecting me from people like you, uh, they need to know your last name because your last name is like the stuff of royalty in this town. Uh oh, dogs! Dogs are not happy. All right, uh, uh, good one. Uh, we'll talk to you later. See you later, Farwell. <laughs> See, you. I don't know who else was there with Joe besides the dogs. Oh, but my goodness gracious, I love it. I, listen, if you. Here's another opportunity or thought as I look at the daily opportunity for the 12 o'clock talk back open lines. If you would like to have your dog call and talk to me, I will talk to your dog all day long. Such a good puppy. You're such a good puppy. I will talk to your dog all day long. Uh, Matt, thanks for the email to Mike at 570news.com. East Zora Tavistock should be ashamed if somebody does something wrong. How about talking to them about it? and telling them why they should do different the next time. Removal and reassignment seems like overkill. Matt, very well said. And in fact, Grandma Lee, that crossing guard in East Zora Tavistock Township, who has been reassigned because, heaven forbid, she handed out some candy canes at her regular crossing location before the holidays, she said the same thing. I didn't know this was against the rules. Uh, if they had told me, I wouldn't have done it. So, hey, East Zora Tavistock, it's not too late to right a wrong here. I think Matt's on to something. Ken on the phone with us. Morning, Ken. Hey, Mikey, how are you? Kenny, I'm good, buddy. How are you? Oh, good. Hey, it's uh, Rangers are win 4-2 tomorrow night. That <laughs> makes it 6, and that's my birth date. It, so, okay, wait a minute. It, tom- is tomorrow also your birthday, like January the 6th? Yeah. Okay, so January 6th is your birthday. There will be a six-goal combined total in the game, and Kitchener will win tomorrow night in Sudbury. Yes, sir. One in an empty net. (laughs) All right, Ken. I appreciate it. I love Rangers Nation. You've already forgotten about last night, right? Now you're not only looking ahead and predicting a victory tomorrow night, you're predicting the score of that victory for the Rangers. Hey, Paul Fixter and I will be on the road with the team. We'll bring you the game from Sudbury on Saturday night. We'll bring you the game from North Bay on Sunday afternoon. Pre-game show beforehand for 30 minutes. The Fix is in, one of our favorite segments to do, and then all of the action with Rangers and Wolves and Rangers and Battalion. All right, we're going to get you an update from the City News Center, and then we're going to move into our first formal conversation of the day. It's with the Mayor of Waterloo, who I'm sure is feeling the squeeze from the province because there's a possibility that we'll lose provincial funding for housing here in the region because, quite frankly, we're not getting enough housing started fast enough. But I think the mayor of Waterloo has a different take on how this funding is even being allocated. So we'll talk to her next. Stay with us on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570.
We all know that there is a tremendous focus on housing in this community and in communities across the country. 3.5 million homes across the entire country required in the next decade or so. 1.5 million homes here in the region of Waterloo. So every community will do its part to collectively reach that 1.5 million home target. Unfortunately, here in the region of Waterloo, the statistics show that we are falling a little bit short. According to our targets for 2023, uh, we should have achieved some... I I thought the last number was a total number. So we should have achieved around 5,000 homes in total. And instead... We're sitting at a little, about 2,600 or so. What we have by the numbers achieved is about 56% across the region of our annual housing target. Now, what happens is the province has some funding for municipalities that achieve 80% of their housing starts target. So, obviously, being at 56%, we're not at 80%, which means we might be at risk of losing some $15 million in provincial funding. Dorothy McCabe is the mayor of the city of Waterloo, joins us for a conversation. Mayor McCabe, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Mr. Farwell. (laughs) My goodness, you've been everywhere. Like, I'm keeping my eyes on you, Mayor McCabe, and my goodness gracious, it's been a busy holiday season. Did you get to see your family at all? (laughs) Yeah. Good. Yeah, I was. Yeah, I was happy to host some family from out of town for a few days as well. So, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's been actually quite restful. So good. I'm yeah, glad I to hear you had. I, ho- I heard you took lots of long walks. I did. So and my phone kept reminding me, "Hey, you're walking more." And I'm like, "Great, that's what I'm trying to do." <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, awesome. That's awesome. To the matter at hand, these numbers that have uh, been reported in a story from Jeff Uthit at the Record yesterday. Are you concerned about, you know, this funding, $15 million or so, not arriving in the region because we're not getting enough housing started? So, I mean, you know, money coming into the region, yes, we always we always need it, and we and we we, we need it, we want it, we're, we're always able to spend it when we do get it. But, um, you know, look, I think to take a step back from this, um, you know, th- this was a process. You know, needing signing on to these housing pledges that municipalities like uh, like the City of Waterloo and others did. There wasn't any consultation with us around doing this. It was like you'll do this kind of <laughs> or, or else, and uh, and so we signed the pledge. I mean, we have to also keep in mind, like so. So uh, the lack of consultation around it, I think, is 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 always something that I think is important, right? Because we were we were told these are the pledges these are how we're going to measure them and so since that time we've been as municipalities saying to them you know that's not a fair measurement um for municipalities like as we've said on, on a number of occasions there's the work that municipalities do to get housing developments and work with developers and the builders in our community to get an um to get in a housing application to the point where council can approve it and then of course there's the site planning process and that too. so there's the work the municipalities do to get a get housing developments to the point where building permits can be issued and then from there 
it's up to the developer builder community, right? So we're not being measured on the things that we actually are doing or are within our wheelhouse and our responsibility. So we've continued to say to the province, it's not a fair way to measure the work that we're doing. So what is the province measuring then? The province is actually measuring housing starts. And so municipalities, we don't actually build housing, right? We uh, we put the we do the work of our staff and and of council is to get as I just as I said um, to get applications to the point where they uh, where we can approve them where we work with developers and the builders to say you know here's the site plan approvals and and you know how the development is going to what we need for it to to work in the in the different neighborhood like for example that we just approved as you know right before the christmas holidays or the um on december 11th we had in front of council we had two applications in front of council that totaled 25 percent of waterloo's housing pledges so there was one application for a, a new um, student residence at the University of Waterloo for about 500 units and another application for uh, just over 3,000 units that will house over 6,000 people when it's fully built out. So we approved 25% of our housing pledge in one in one night. Um, so there is a high, high degree of interest from the building community to build in Waterloo. In 2023 alone, we've had over 22,000, 23,000 um, applications for 22 or 23,000 housing units come into the city. So there's a tremendous amount of work being done. But but we only we can only do so much. And then it's, again, up to the building community to put those shovels in the ground. So is that to say then, Mayor McCabe, that maybe we need a little more municipal muscle here to ensure that once you've given the approval, you can ensure that the housing actually gets started and or built? Yeah, I mean, we've talked to and I've talked to Minister Calandra and we certainly on the Ontario Big City Mayor's Caucus, we've been clear for months now since these housing pledges were put in place that we need what, you know, we kind of call uh, a use it or lose it clause. And, I mean, the, that if, if there were such a amendment added to the Planning Act or the Municipal Act, you know, it obviously has to take into account extenuating circumstances. Like, I understand inflation's high, the cost of construction's high. Um, you know, we're in, a bit of, we're in an unusual period of time right now. And so there are market uh, market forces at play that are causing our developers and builders in our community to delay projects. I understand that, but we, I also know that before uh, interest rates went were increased dramatically and pre pre COVID, there were housing um, appro- there were housing approvals in place and building permits issued that developers had not moved on. So. Some of those uh, projects have been approved since, you know, 2017, 2018, and those those projects could have been started many years ago. So there has to be something in place that addresses issues like that. That uh, that um, that when the conditions are right, that these and the approvals are in place, that these projects move forward. Right. So. In fairness, a nearby municipality like Guelph, for example, has achieved its 80% target and will 
qualify for that funding. So, I mean, what is Guelph doing that we're not doing? Well, that's a good question, and I and I would have to better understand exactly Guelph's, um, you know, what's happening in Guelph. But I know that in Waterloo, and I can really only speak for Waterloo, like the project. So Waterloo, we are we're landlocked, as you know, and so the projects that we have coming forward are really complex. Um, these are not, um, you know, uh, like a housing uh, development that we just approved like uh, December 11th with. 3,000 units, 12 towers. That's a much more on a, um, on a site that needs like, the, the, it used to be the car, cross carpet site. So there's demolition that needs to happen and things like that. That's a much more complex site and much more complex housing application, uh, than say a greenfield development where it's single family homes or townhouses being, being created. So being developed. So it depends what kind of, projects and housing applications different municipalities have on the books right and so like so waterloo um i'll remind your listeners that um earlier in 2023 we actually there is a one of waterloo's last or waterloo's last greenfield development we actually as a council had to pause that because um because of Bill 23 and because we don't know where we're going to get the infrastructure dollars to go with that, right? So so there's things that are happening that are prevent, like changes from the province that are happening that are impacting our municipality differently than other municipalities. So remember the, 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 the housing development out at Beaver Creek and Conservation Drive, that, I mean, we're at risk, you know, at the start of our conversation, we were talking about us, the city of Waterloo being at risk of losing $3.5 million. That's a significant amount of money. But to contrast that, the housing uh, development that we had to pause out of Beaver Creek, that is going to cost, that's going to take $68 million worth of infrastructure. So, like the the quantum is you know it's there's there's a great there's a big gap there in the quantum and and i and again we just we need to continue to talk to the province to say you know we're not talking apples and apples here we're talking apples and some other very different fruit right like they they really need to i believe the province really needs to have a better understanding of what's really happening on the ground with different municipalities I'm just reflecting on what you talked about with those three big projects that were approved just before Christmas that will collectively result in 25%, one quarter of your commitment over the next decade, which is... That's just two projects. Oh, pardon me, just two. That's right. It's the the Inn of Waterloo project and the Krause Carpets. No, Krause Carpets and and University of Waterloo. Cross carpets and the university. University, yes, thank you. Yeah. And so I, I'm just thinking on, on those, I mean, is there any opportunity to get bonused when those starts do happen because they should collectively really increase your numbers for the year that they are started, right? That's a good question, Mike. <laughs> Let's get Minister Clint. We want <laughs> bonus money. Waterloo wants the bonus. <laughs> yeah, we're high achievers up here at Waterloo. <laughs> We're going. We're going for the hundred plus uh, category. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because I mean, the targets, the housing pledges we signed are, are t- over ten years. Uh, like I said, we've got we've had over twenty three thousand um, units applications that that total over twenty three thousand housing units come into the city 
at, and so those are at various stages in the development process. They're, they're not, they haven't all been approved, but when they are, we are going to, like, I'm not, a, I'm not worried about meeting that 16,000 uh, housing target within 10 years. I guess you could say it's kind of off to a slow start, but 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 we're at fifty four percent, and I I have no worries about you know once the market conditions improve and insurance or interest rates um, come down and maybe construction costs come down, um, and that that these shovels will start getting in the ground and and projects will move forward and we'll we'll have those housing units built within the time frame required. Okay, I was I was curious about that because you had said at the outset it was almost a reluctant signing on to this housing pledge because you didn't love the metrics attached yeah. to it. <laughs> yeah. Those, yeah, we didn't have a whole lot of choice to be perfectly frank, right? It was sign on or I, I'm not sure what the or else was, but but we really we we had to sign on to it. So so we did, and like I said, over over the time frame. Um, required. Uh, I have no worries that the that the required housing units are going to be built. Um, but you know, as you said from the outset, Mike, we I think every council council and every council member across Waterloo Region realize, and certainly in the city of Waterloo, realizes the importance and the need for housing. And we'll continue to work with our development community and with our staff, um, you know, to get these projects moving forward. Is there any indication that the province is flexible here, pardon me, in in the way that it is measuring progress? Well, I'm hopeful. I mean, I'm hopeful. We had conversations with Minister Calandra uh, just prior to the holidays, um, and he had indicated that that he is willing to continue to look at, you know, past decisions that were made. So we're going to continue to talk to him. Um, and and explain you know the gulf and the in between uh, you know the infrastructure dollars we need to build out projects and uh, and the metrics that we think are fair um, in order for us to be judged by. So we'll we'll continue to talk to them and hopefully that they'll see our side. Um, you know over the you know hopefully in the early part of 2024. Make sure you bring up our new idea of bonusing. Yes, I think it's a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is a good one. We call it the Farwell Clause. Oh, there you go. I like it. I like it. That'll go over really well, I'm sure. Uh, Mayor McCabe, thanks for making time for the show this morning. Okay. It's good to talk to thanks you. Thanks very much. Okay, okay. take care, Mike. You Happy too. New Year, Thank you. To you as well. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Dorothy McCabe is the mayor of Waterloo. The Farwell Clause. You see, that's the bonus when you start overachieving in the years ahead. Look, I, I get it. And... In fairness, as I mentioned with neighboring municipality Guelph, like everybody's working on the same metrics here. So I understand where Mayor McCabe is coming from, and and Kitchener Mayor Barry Verbenovic has suggested similarly that uh, we're not sure this is the right measurement. In fairness, though, other municipalities, including neighboring Guelph, are achieving those targets. But I think Mayor McCabe makes a good point and a fair point to bring to the conversation insofar as what kind of housing is being built in those other municipalities or where is the housing being built? Because as Mayor McCabe reminded us, we are landlocked. We're not going out, we're going up. We're looking for intensification and densification and and maybe there's more greenfield opportunity in Guelph and other municipalities. The bottom line is there is funding, provincial funding at stake here because with the aim 
of launching construction on more than 5,100 homes last year. We instead have only managed to get started on just under 2,900. So that's only 56% of the annual target. And unless you get to 80%, you don't get that provincial funding. So region-wide, it's about 15 million bucks that will not come here to help with housing. How do you feel about where we're at when it comes to housing targets? And is there any way, like I know many of you are far more connected to the industry than I am. So maybe you've got some insight that you can share, but can we make things, can we accelerate this progress in any way to get to the required number of 70,000 new homes by 2031? Mary McCabe says she's still confident that Waterloo can do its part of the 16,000 required. So we'll see. But I like that she is confident still of that. How are you feeling about our ability to meet that target. We are now into 2024, seven more years to complete these 70,000 homes in the region. Look forward to your thoughts on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. We've had over 23,000 units, applications that total over 23,000 housing units come into the city. And so those are at various stages in the development process. They haven't all been approved, but when they are, I'm not worried about meeting that 16,000 housing target within 10 years. And that is exactly the kind of optimism that you want to hear from one of our municipal leaders, right? Waterloo Mayor Dorothy McCabe, who says we're going to meet that target region-wide by 2031. And I still keep emphasizing that number because, frankly, it's coming way too fast for my liking. But 70,000 homes across this region is the goal and, frankly, the pledge. That's the number we're going to reach in order to help the province reach its overall housing target of 1.5 million. Frankly, despite the optimism, and I'm, I'm not trying to be dismissive of the confidence that Mayor McCabe just expressed, I'm just looking at the sheer number and thinking seven years, 70,000 homes. It's an awful lot. But Mayor McCabe has a closer look at things than I do. She remains confident, and we'll see where we can get. One of the challenges right now, though, is that we're actually falling behind when it comes to housing starts. There's been a two-year decline, and in 2023, we achieved region-wide across Kitchener, Waterloo, and Cambridge just 56% of our target. If you don't get to 80%, you don't get all of the provincial funding that you might be entitled to. And so it sounds as though we're going to be missing out on some of that provincial funding. We'll see where it goes from here. If we can get the housing built, fantastic. But there is a lot of work involved, and there are so many factors at play in all of this, right? From the market conditions and the building community to municipalities, etc. Let's go to the phones quickly. Curtis, good morning. Good morning. Just to reiterate what you've always said, this two-tier system, this is what the problem is here in the region. Until they fix that problem, they ain't going to achieve any goals that they're calling for or saying that we're going to get in the coming years. 
Curtis, I appreciate the call. You know you're not going to get an argument from me on the antiquated system of municipal governance we have here. And yes, uh, I do believe the two levels get in one another's way too often. If we can find ways to streamline and make more efficient our processes, I think we're in a, a much better place. I don't know how much of a barrier that is right now when it comes to the housing because the municipalities themselves individually are getting the work done. But I do think that there should be uniformity, right? Region-wide, how you build or what the zoning and codes are in Cambridge should be the same as Kitchener, should be the same as Waterloo, et cetera. And that comes into every aspect of a particular project. And, and right now it, it can be different, right? from one place to the next. So anyway, thanks for weighing in on this, Curtis. We're going to get you an update from the City News Centre. And then you may have heard, I hope you did earlier this week, a survey from the Canadian Union of Public Employees of Healthcare Workers in this province and how many of them are thinking, I might just leave this job this year. The Ontario NDP says, you know whose fault that is? It's Doug Ford's fault. We'll talk about it coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. The Ontario Council of Hospital Unions shared with us earlier this week some survey results of workers in the healthcare sector. And to put it mildly, the results ain't great. Looking at the key findings from the survey, just over two in five union members are considering or somewhat considering leaving their current position next year. So we're looking at just over 40% in that regard. Uh, Just under 7 in 10 union workers disagree or somewhat disagree that there are enough staff in their workplace to deliver high quality of patient care. Uh, A majority of union members are not confident or somewhat lacking in confidence that the government will improve the public health system in the next year. And the most common negative side effects that union members report they have experienced due to their position are exhaustion, high stress, and that's followed by anxiety, trouble sleeping, dreading going to work, and then overall sadness or a general malaise. Catherine Fife is the MPP for Waterloo. She's a member of Ontario's New Democratic Party, and she joins us for a chat. Uh, Happy New Year, Catherine, and good morning. Happy New Year, Mike. Thanks very much for having me on this morning. It it may be less happy, I guess, when we consider the findings from this survey. I mean, how do you feel about those numbers? Yeah, I mean, these numbers uh, really should be a wake-up call for the Ford government. Uh, We've been working with various healthcare workers from across the province uh, over the last few years and have seen the steady erosion of working conditions in our hospitals. And and the and the Ford government is 
aware of this, but when we ask in question period and we indicate, you know, the emergency room closures, the stress with paramedics who are, you know, lined up outside emergency rooms, the retention and lack thereof of our nurses in Ontario, you know, they're very, they're somewhat dismissive, actually, Mike, of our questions as if, as if they don't believe the problem is real. And you and I both know that in order to address a problem uh, strategically, you have to acknowledge that the problem exists. And so this data indicating that we are essentially in an epidemic of a nursing crisis in Ontario, which is impacting uh, the quality of care that our healthcare system can offer, is really we're at a tipping point. And so the government of Ontario needs to truly embrace the solutions that are available to them through various sources. And that includes listening to frontline healthcare workers. What are those frontline healthcare workers telling the provincial government? Yeah, so it's interesting because, I mean, this data is consistent with what we've heard is that they simply end up leaving the system because they've lost faith in the system. And um, and what they're hearing from the government of the day is that they're truly not interested in addressing their working conditions or providing them fair compensation. And you'll remember, you know, when the government brought in Bill 124, that capped all salaries in the, in the healthcare sector at 1%. Uh, especially as they went through uh, the COVID crisis, which is still ongoing. It's still having an incredibly negative impact on on health in Ontario. Uh, and so at the end of the day, you know, one emergency room uh, doc had called it, it's, you know, they care about the work. They're still showing up to work, but it's feeling more and more like hopeless work in a collapsing system, which leads to burnout. And the government will come back and say, well, we're recruiting, you know, we're recruiting these workers into the system, but it's, it's almost impossible to recruit into a broken system. And they're losing the opportunity to retain the experienced uh, staff that are already in the, in the healthcare sector. And that's a very, very costly mis- mistake, not only to the Treasury Board of the province, but to the quality of care and experience that is needed to address, you know, the changing demographics in Ontario and these increasing um, healthcare crises like COVID-19. Is the solution here, Catherine, simply a financial one? Do we need more money in the system to better compensate those working within it and to attract more people to it? Yeah, there's two parts to this. I mean, it's not just it's not just about throwing more money at the at the system. And our leader, Mark Styles, has been really clear. It's about it's about working in a more uh, strategic and smarter way. So there are operational costs that have not kept pace with inflation. Hospital staff and healthcare workers will tell us about that. But then the other part is, you know, valuing the people that you work in the system. And so when you capped them at 1% and held them below inflationary costs, this was a serious cut to wages. And that's why healthcare workers started to look at other jurisdictions. Uh, but there are solutions. And, and some of those solutions are well known, Mike. They've come through the Auditor General, who has recommended that, you know, you improve and expand the use of protocols so nurses can start treatment early and so scope of practice. And then the expansion of these urgent care centers, which we have talked about in the House a lot, because 2.1 million Ontarians don't have a family doctor. So those folks are looking for care, and they're going to the emergency room. 
So at the end of the day, uh, the the fact that you you know we're losing an opportunity to retain these uh, these healthcare workers in the system, uh, and we're actively trying to recruit into a broken system. This this is a confidence issue, and I think that that came through in the in the survey of healthcare workers that seventy nine percent of them don't think that the Ford government is serious about the healthcare crisis, and that's that's a problem for all of us. So speaking of confidence, Catherine, do you have any, do you have any bright light of optimism or even a dim light of optimism as we enter a new year that that the province will take seriously what we're learning in this survey? Well, I mean, some of the solutions are, are they've, they've been forced to address. I mean, one of those is home care. Uh, and so uh, having a quality home care system uh, is is key to actually keeping people at home and not in the emergency room. The problem with this government is that they're very focused on privatization. And so what they they think that if you just contract everything out, this will alleviate the pressure on the healthcare system. This we know this to not be true. So even when they know, you know, where the pressure points and points of tension in the healthcare system are, their solution is to contract and privatize we're, we're really, at the end of the day, Ontarians pay more and get less care. So, uh, you know, this is, a, this is a government that, quite honestly, is on the ropes. I mean, they, uh, the Greenbelt scandal has stayed with them, Mike. Uh, RCMP is doing a formal investigation, criminal investigation. And I would hope that they, they would be amenable to now looking at, you know, the less costly options, but the, 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 the care options that exist in Ontario, which would actually alleviate the pressure on the healthcare system. Is there any room for any level of privatization within the system? Elective surgeries, knee and hips, anything like that to help reduce some backlogs anywhere? Well, the, there, that, that already does exist. Like, there are, there are private options in Ontario. But what we have argued with the official opposition in the in Ontario's legislature has argued and will continue to do so is that it shouldn't come at the expense of the public health care system. So, you know, we've we we now have a growing body of evidence that this government is prioritizing for profit health care over our public health care system. And this this is compounded and goes right back to the survey where you have a, a healthcare human resources crisis. And people, people within that system are saying, you know what, I'm a nurse, I can't handle 26 patients. I'm going to leave this system and go work for a private nursing agency and I'll make three times as much money. Now, we as the taxpayers are still paying three times as much money, but we're not getting three nurses, we're getting one nurse. So these, these you know, this tension that exists in the public health care sphere, the solutions are not as complicated as, you know, the Minister of Health would have you think they are. There, there are good ways for this province to invest in health care, to keep people healthier, and to make sure that people have care where they need it and when they need it. That agency situation is one that's been on my mind, too, and I can't imagine the 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 loss of morale for a nurse in a hospital who has an agency nurse maybe on that same floor or same shift making three times the amount through that contract. 
Yeah, no, this is, this is, and, and actually the data from the survey from the Nanos polling demonstrates that to be true is that, you know, if you have a nurse on the floor, uh, one, that nurse is new to the floor, new to the patients, I mean, certainly experienced, but not in keeping with working as a healthcare team. Uh, and so privatization of healthcare is real in Ontario and siphoning off those public health dollars to private for-profit agencies or medical practices is not working to strengthen and to deliver the system of care that we need. So, uh, you know, we shouldn't have to force this government once again, you know, to go back to the court system, where, interesting enough, Mike, Bill 124, which was found unconstitutional, Doug Ford is still fighting that legislation. And that's a waste of tax dollars as well. So that's why the system as a whole is looking at this government and saying, you know what, they really don't care because they're still fighting Bill 124. Uh, that's, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it doesn't instill any confidence uh, that this government takes health care seriously. Catherine, we always appreciate the time you make for us on the show. Thank you very much for being here. Have a great day, Mike. Take care. You as well. Bye-bye. Catherine Fife is the MPP for Waterloo. She's a member of Ontario's NDP. And she says the distinct impression that she and many others get from this provincial government is that it simply doesn't care when it comes to health care and health care workers. Look, I want to be as careful as I can be in a conversation like this because here's what I know. There are thousands upon thousands of highly qualified, deeply experienced healthcare workers doing tremendous work right here in our community today. It is work that they find rewarding, and there are also rewarding opportunities for people coming into the system. There really are. Are there enough of them? Could the system be better? I think those subjects are open to debate and or conversation here. But I I want to be cognizant of coming down too hard on the system that we know needs work, if not outright improvement here. A complete overhaul, I'm not sure. But I don't want to say or I don't want to be dismissive of the work that's currently being done and the opportunities that exist for new people coming into the system because, gosh darn it, if if these findings in this survey from the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions hold true and say some 40-plus percent who are currently considering leaving their current position do so, That's a whole lot of backfill that needs to be done in a system that already is probably lacking when it comes to healthcare workers, right? Probably don't have enough workers in the system as it is, and then some 40% are thinking of leaving their current positions. And if they do that, well, it's not going to take a genius to figure out the math. Then you got a whole lot of catching up to do. And if you're even remotely considering healthcare as a future career, this can't exactly be painting the rosiest of pictures, can it? But these are the realities. And there is no question that we have work to do to improve the system. I also will admit to you, I I take this stuff really personally because I have reached an age and stage of my life where I am 
acutely aware that I'm going to need this system sooner than later. And strictly from a selfish perspective, you think I don't want this system to be here and working, functioning properly when I need it? You're ding dang right I want that to be the case. And I suspect you want that to be the case, if not for yourself, maybe for your parents, etc. So where do we go from here? Do you, do you get the sense that this provincial government cares about health care? Or is it giving you the impression, like it's giving Ontario's NDP and some others, that it doesn't care at all? 519-570-2545. Star 570 and one 570 5715 Would love to hear from you on the state of our health care. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. It's almost impossible to recruit into a broken system, and they're losing the opportunity to retain the experienced staff that are already in the healthcare sector. And that's a very, very costly mistake to the quality of care and experience that is needed to address the changing demographics in Ontario and these increasing healthcare crises. Catherine Fife is Waterloo's MPP, a member of Ontario's New Democrats. She joins us this morning. To talk about what is, I believe, a crisis in healthcare. I, I don't want to exaggerate the situation too much, but some key findings from a recent survey conducted by the Ontario Council of Hospital Unions finds more than 40% of current healthcare workers considering leaving their current positions before the end of this year. About 70% believe the workplace conditions are unsatisfactory. Many, about the same amount, 72% lack the confidence that there will be any improvement in the coming year. And then they also report on the number of negative effects that their current work is having on their mental health. And, And look, I think we could extrapolate this to a variety of other sectors as well, but what we're focusing on today... And what we're talking about maybe getting some remedies for is our health care system. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Sean, good morning. Good morning. Yeah, I don't think it's that the provincial government doesn't care. I think they're on an ideological bent, and they believe that private care is the best and i think it's wrong because if you look at our neighbors to the south where everything is mostly privatized they have some of the most expensive health care in the whole world with some of the worst outcomes they spend more money per person than pretty much any country anywhere so i think they need to get away from the american example and look more towards europe we don't need private health care we need more public services is there a European model? I'm thinking off the top of my head, Sean, and I'm I'm not coming up with the the I'm, country. I'm thinking like like uh, Sweden, yeah. Germany, Denmark. Don't look at the UK. The UK is an utter disaster. <laughs> They're probably the worst example right now. What what is it that, that Sweden and Denmark and Germany might have working for them that we could implement here? Well, they're they're providing better health care services, dental services. They just seem to have it together better. Uh, but even the UK, even though it's probably the worst example in Europe, they do provide a level of service that we just don't have in Canada. Like my family's from from the UK, and you know, you, you, 
you get your medications for free, you get dental care, you get health care. I mean, you have an accident in Britain, and, you know, it's, it's looked after immediately. You don't have to worry about stuff like you do in Canada. And they're probably the worst one over there. It's, I just find it incredible. It's like we're sort of a hybrid between uh, Europe and the U.S., and we seem to be going backwards as far as I can tell. Yeah, private costs more because they have to make a profit, plus there's uh, in-front administration costs. Yeah, Sean, I, I appreciate your, your thoughts on this, and obviously uh, you've given it plenty of consideration. Lorraine, good morning. Good morning. I'm wondering if you could get a nurse on or speak to a nurse that works through an agency, because you keep saying the nurses that are working through the agency are getting three times the pay. That's correct. I don't think they are. I think the agency is getting a big wage, but I don't think the nurses are getting that much more. They might be getting more than the nurses that are regularly in the hospital, but I don't think they're getting three times. The agency must be making money somewhere along the line. Lorraine, thank you very much for that call and that thought. That's an interesting observation, and I had not considered that. Tends to be the way it goes, right? The the middleman, you know, the the recruiter, maybe, you'll call them, uh, takes their cut as well. But it's it's a well-used figure, that those agency nurses are earning three times what uh, the nurse within the system is making. But we will look further into that, Lorraine, and I appreciate you bringing it forward to the show today. All right, we've got an update on the way from the City News Centre, and then we're going to debut another one of our new features for the year here on the show. And, And I hope you're going to enjoy it as much as I know I am. Uh, an old colleague of mine has uh, retired into the business of writing a humor column. It's called Living Retired, and it's a pretty interesting slice of life that he brings us every week. And we're going to take it from his website to our show and talk with our guest about what it's like to be living retired and the sorts of things that enter one's days when they have more time to do things other than go to work. Living Retired debuts on the Mike Farwell Show coming up. Stay with us. This is City News 570. Well, I feel like this segment has been a rather long time coming because I have been on my friend Gary Chalk's email distribution list for quite some time now. So every week I get his humor column under the banner Living Retired. You can find it online as well at livingretired.press. But it's a rather humorous look at really Gary's life. And I think a lot of it, I I say really Gary's because it's not just necessarily, I think, uh, a retired life. I think it relates well beyond. But it's a nice little slice of life and something a little bit on the lighter side that we can take in when that column comes out each week. And Gary and I have been talking for some time and he's an old radio guy too. And I thought, you know what, there's probably room because this stuff is just so relatable. So there's probably room 
to bring it onto the show. And if you, of course, find it relatable or something that we talk about strikes a chord with you, as you know, our phone lines are always open on the program at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. And with no further ado, I welcome to the show for his debut here on City News 570, Mr. Gary Chalk, now a humor columnist. How does that uh, title ring with you, Gary? Well, it makes me feel, when I look at the content of what I write, makes me feel old. <laughs> no other word for it. Well, and it's almost full circle old, too, because from your roots in AM radio in the beautiful telephone city of Brantford, here we are again, back on AM radio in the region of Waterloo. Hey, it's great. I'll tell you, there's nothing like AM radio. I'm, I'm, I'm called a radio relic. Listen, if you're a relic, I don't know what that makes me. I've referred to myself as a dinosaur a few times already. So, no, that's the, that's the first phase. Then you go just like retirement. You go through phases, and you'll eventually become a relic. I got you. Okay. Well, I look forward to my relic days then, and you and I can uh, commiserate over cups of coffee, etc. What led you, Gary, to writing a, a weekly humor column? You know, there's a uh, Purely circumstance, I retired, I was fortunate to retire 10 years ago, have an early retirement. And uh, the very first day, I remember it was the 1st of May, 2013, I, I sent an email out to four or five friends, and in the subject line I said, living retired. And I wrote something and made some, some funny comment, I can't recall now, and got some feedback, and then the following Monday, and then it started, and over the next number of years, it uh, it started to roll down the hill like a snowball at Chicopee, and uh, I found I was over 3,000 people reading this column all across North America, and, and it just grew from there. A friend of mine uh, shared via Twitter this morning when I teed up the show that Living Retired, and he also, by the way, is doing the same, uh, Living Retired frees up 40 hours per week to vent about local politics, housing, <laughs> LRT, loud street hockey, yep. and extra time to rant about sidewalk snow removal, volunteering versus municipal costing. I, I mean, that and more, I guess, Gary. Oh, it, it is. And, and what I have found in my 10 years is there's so far I'm on phase four of my retirement. Uh, and it's different whether you're a man or a woman. For, for a man, the first, your first phase is you go golfing. You golf, 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 golf. And I don't know about you and how you golf, Mike, but I would, I would hit the ball, then I would swear, and all the other fellows <laughs> in my foursome, they went down the fairway, I went into the woods. And, and perhaps about three or four holes later, or even sometimes in the clubhouse, that's when I'd finally meet up with them again. And, you know, you can only do so much golf. And while I was out golfing, the, the typical phase for women first phase in their retirement is uh, they go to a store and the store only sells three things decorator potpourri decorator candles and decorator pillows and they start purchasing pillows and all of a sudden these start coming into your home and that's that's just the first phase second phase for guys is you go to a coffee shop you give up on golf went to a coffee shop meet with friends drink coffee Come home about uh, 2 in the afternoon and had to stop three or four times on the way back because you have to go to the bathroom. You're all keyed up on all this caffeine. Your wife asks what you've been doing. You, you don't know. <laughs> meanwhile, what is the wife's um, phase two? They're at that store 
buying more pillows. Now they're getting into the seasons. You know, now the Christmas, New Year's is over. The next one they'll have to introduce would be, be Valentine's decorator pillows. And at that store, they got an entire wall of pillows. I think it's like a, an Ikea unit. And these pillows, they don't toss them on a table. They put them all, stack them all up on that thing. I, I think they probably have a Dewey Decimal system for finding those decorator pillows. And then you hit the third phase. You know, uh, you, you get up in the morning, the guys, and we do a few chores, have lunch. Then we just fall on the sofa in front of the television and watch old episodes of Happy Days and Mr. Roper and eat beef jerky. The women, meanwhile, they're out there for more decorator pillows. It, it doesn't stop. And, and the final phase for me at this point, Mike, phase four, is I have reached the pretty soon the phase where I'm going to go out and buy my first pair of suspenders. <laughs> and, and these suspenders, I, I'm pretty sure they're going to be from my pajama bottoms. I think that's what they're going to be. And, and that, that's just the fourth phase. I'm sure there's many more to come. You know, I, I'm thinking as, as you go through these phases, Gary, that I might just skip phase one for the guys because I'm already playing the whack curse game of golf and I don't think I need that aggravation in my retirement. But I do look forward to those coffee shop experiences and getting all keyed up on the caffeine and solving the world's problems with my fellow retirees. Doesn't take long. I tell you, a few <laughs> cups of coffee and, uh, you know, we got it done. You really got me thinking, though, <laughs> on this decorator pillow idea. It is something, and you know, when you mentioned how they can be seasonal as well, hadn't really occurred to me, but makes perfect sense. And it makes me think of how we see... Like, I don't know when Halloween decorating outdoors became as popular as it did, but there's a fall theme for the front porch, right? Then there's the Christmas theme. There might be a Valentine's theme. I don't know. But there's a lot of outdoor decorating, and that can also happen inside with these pillows. Your column this week is entitled Pillow Fight. Now, now you and your lovely wife, Jan, didn't actually engage in a feather-flying pillow fight, did you? No. One thing about humor, um, when my late mother-in-law, she would receive my column, and, uh, of course, I incorporate my wife, Jan, as you said, into the columns, and uh, sometimes my my mother-in-law believed it, and for the next week, she wouldn't want to talk to me (laughs) and uh, because of what I had said. Much of humor is theater of the mind for me. No, we didn't get into a fight. But, But I'll tell you, you know, I'm usually the first person to go to bed. And eh, 10.30 thereabouts, I'll go in, and I'll change, but then I got to, in order to get into bed, I got to take off all these decorator pillows. You know, and it's, it's, as I said in this week's column, I felt like General Norman Schwarzkopf in the Gulf War, throwing these pillows, they're, they're like scud missiles coming down, bouncing off the dresser and the armoire. And then finally you get into bed, and, and it's supposed to be relaxing, well, I'm fit to be tied. And then, inevitably, because I'm a, a male, middle-aged man, I get up in the middle of the night because I have to go to the bathroom. Bam! I trip over a a pillow on the floor. That wakes up Jan. Uh, You know, and then the worst part, believe me, Mike, in the morning when you make the bed, Jan and I like to do that together. I'm only involved until the stage that we get the duvet spread over. That's when Jan takes over. She doesn't have confidence that I can actually arrange the decorator pillows. You know, she she can put them up in such a way, and then she takes the side of her hand, and she gives that whack on the pillow and puts that little crease in it, like you see them do on HGTV. And she does that. And the silly thing is, nobody sees them. 
You know, when Uber Eats arrives at your door and brings you your chicken, well, you are going for your wallet. You don't tell the driver, come on back in here and see our, our decorator pillows. Nobody ever sees them. Maybe, maybe there's just some comfort in knowing that you've done such a good and decorative job with the decorator pillows. Ah, could be. I just know that, uh, like you said, they, they, they are now changing with the seasons, and uh, I, I fully expect we're going to have some red decorator pillows with, with hearts on them, and then they will be followed up probably about early March. With They'll just skip the out-of-school, and it'll be the back-to-school pillows that will come in. I, I, uh, we sort of time it with the shopping mall. <laughs> I, I love, Gary, that Jan doesn't even trust you when it comes to the decorator, decorator pillow return to the bed, if you will. So you can help make it, but once that duvet's up, it's all Jan's job to make sure those decorator pillows are arranged in the right fashion, right? And I'll bet you they look the same every day. Probably. Yeah. All I know is that you have to follow the proper pillow procedure. And, I, and I'm sure I'm sure there's there's YouTube videos on this. There has to be that shows you how to arrange properly those pillows that uh, you know Martha would just love. You know, she would just think that was that was that was a work of art. I wonder. I mean, this is one of the things when I think about retirement, I think about doing a whole lot less in the way of work. This is an honest to goodness outright effort, and I too though I'm not quite yet at my retirement years, I have questioned this in our household because what I don't understand is the idea of rearranging these pillows every morning with the knowledge that 12 hours or so later, you're going to have to take them off the bed anyway. Like I, did, I never really grasped the concept. It, 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 it boggles the mind. You know, I think we need to have the government put together a, uh, a panel and travel across the country. And let's get some input. What are the values of decorator pillows? <laughs> Wouldn't that be the next step? I, why not? And listen, if anybody's going to strike a committee, it's our current <laughs> federal government, right? <laughs> oh, true. Maybe, maybe, Gary, you just asked the million-dollar question that will strike a chord uh, with our listeners this morning. Maybe they know what the value is in the decorator pillow, or they've got the whole decorator pillow thing uh, figured out. We'll, we'll take a quick break. Let them think about that. And remember, phone lines open with Gary and I at 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Have, have you figured out the solution to the decorator pillow problem? Is there a decorator pillow compromise? Maybe Gary's got one of those too. We uh, continue. It's Living Retired on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Gary Chalk writes a weekly humor column called Living Retired. We're bringing it from the pages of his blog to the airwaves of this show each and every Friday morning at 1030. And uh, Gary, I'll I'll let you know that uh, one of our regular listeners, Dennis, says, "Okay, that suspenders part was funny. Two of my older, quote, retired buddies both bought suspenders to wear daily 
last year. So you got a you got a winner already. <laughs> I've already got a couple of emails from other listeners too wanting to sign up. So they're they're listening and I think they're identifying. Dennis writes to Mike at 570news.com. I'm wondering Gary, so I'll let you in on just a little bit of insight to the Farwell household. We've gone through this this decorator pillow debacle and I will confess like my beloved is has got the patience of a saint. Me on the other hand, I just I, if I don't understand something, and I truly don't understand the decorator pillows, then I will make it clear that not only do I not understand this, but something needs to change here because it just doesn't make any sense every day. Pillows on, pillows off. So now the pillows are largely off; they're stacked neatly over in the corner. But one day last week, they magically reappeared. I don't know why. Maybe just to make a point. Maybe my beloved is telling me that no, they do look good, Mike. You just have to pay attention. Well, you know, when you stack them up, we have so many that but once every two weeks, I'll go up, climb up that thing, and I'll reach over and just clear all the cobwebs off the ceiling. You know, that, that's how many we got. I think there's, some, there's, there's also there's a, there's a theory that I have, Mike, on decorator pillows. You know, men, as we age, we tend to have to go to the bathroom more frequently. We do so during the night. And what happens? You get up, you trip over those decorator pillows. When I went in to see my orthopedic surgeon, because I banged my knee in the floor so many times, he actually gave me as a takeaway gift a decorator pillow. You know, it, it, that, that's what drives his business. <laughs> of course it is. Yes. And that, that just in, ensures that you're a return customer. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, let's go to the phones and hear from you. Our buddy Jersey Bill is with us this morning. Billy, good morning. Oh, yeah, I've been more or less happily retired for 12 years now. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I, actually, the uh, I, I never got into golf, uh, but I uh, have taken up, tried to take up this, this wargaming hobby, and, of course, I bought a lot of these games, and the problem is to find somebody to play with. Now, there's a guy on the other side of town who's also a listener to your show, and uh, I keep wanting to get with him, but uh, that, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, and uh, you can also play them solo, and you could uh, get a new... Uh, uh, computer system which helps you play them. You know, it, it just seems that seems to be what happens. Is you, you, you try to get into a hobby and you start paying more and more money, and somehow it just doesn't quite happen the way you think it should. Now, I, that's that's my that's my uh, resolution for this year. It's going to happen. Uh, I guess <laughs> all this anticipation is that, that's what helped helping me keep alive and healthy. Jersey Bill, I want to add, you're right. It doesn't always follow the course that you would think it was. It's sort of like when you used to drive down to Disney World with your family when you are kids, and you got on the I-75, and it just meandered here and there and back and forth and down to there. That's what retirement's like. Yep, yep, yep. It's not, not, a, not a straight course at all, and you, you, just, you just hope that uh, you can keep breathing and uh, people fall to your left and right. You just keep going ahead. You're going to say, I'm going to keep having the best of life, and uh, my friends are going to be younger because the old ones are not around so much anymore. I need a young person always around just to find my passwords. <laughs> <laughs> that's right or over or, or over stock that uh that google password manager <laughs> that's right billy it's good to hear from you this morning thanks very much for uh weighing in but gary another another chord struck with sort of that meandering path that you right. talk about you found sort of uh in retirement you just never know it's not a straight line it's, it's, it's going to be different for everybody too Everybody's going to have their own retirement, and it's, it's very different. Uh, as I say, uh, men take four, so far for me, four different phases. From, from my research, women have one. It's just decorator pillows.
So on the decorator pillow front, have you found a decorator pillow compromise in your household? I mean, you mentioned it's great for cleaning off the cobwebs because you can climb up to the top. It's great for your orthopedic surgeon. Terrific. But what about for you and Jan? Have you figured out uh, common ground on this? Well, we're, we're currently in therapy, and, um, you know, um, the trouble is you sit on the sofa with a therapist, and what do you do? you got to move the decorator pillows in her office in order to, uh, to sit down. I guess film at 11 on that, Mike. I, I don't know where we're going. One thing that did come out uh, in our therapy session, and I'm joking, obviously, um, and perhaps this is what we can talk about next week, there is another item in everyone's home who's listening today. I, I know the Farwell home has this. Not going to say what it is. We'll tee it up for next week. But you don't have one or two. If you're like the chalk household, eh, we probably have bazil- uh, gazillions of these. <laughs> and all I know, and I, I will pass on in, in full disclosure, a tip next week is that when, from my experience, when I go to get this item, I, I take my iPhone with me, and I have 911 on speed dial. And it's not a decorator pillow, eh? Not a decorator pillow. Because, you know, if you fall at a certain age, you might not be able to get back up. Yeah. So that could make sense for the 911, but it's not a decorator pillow. Okay. I'll leave that with you and your listeners, and you can try to come up with what other item are in multiples in your home. This, is, uh, this has been a lot of fun. We'll do it every Friday morning at 10.30 from here forward, Gary. How did it feel breaking back into the AM radio sphere? It felt really good. The only difference is uh, instead of hair down at my shoulders, I, I have eyebrows. <laughs> and that's the big difference. It's, it's been a thrill, Mike. I've been a, a listener of yours for many years. You put a lot of effort into your program. There are talk shows and there are talk shows, and I don't say this just to be patronizing. Then there's the Mike, War- Mike Farwell Show. I appreciate you, sir. I'm already looking forward to next week. Thanks for today. My pleasure. Gary Chalk joining us. He is the columnist behind Living Retired. He writes it weekly. Uh, You can find it for yourself at livingretired.press. And you can enjoy the weekly humor that we will also bring to this show for a little bit of levity. It seems to have struck a chord with a number of you already this week. And that's the whole idea. It doesn't have to be all the heavy stuff all the time. And certainly, we can chuckle from time to time, especially at our own expense, right? We are fast approaching uh, 11 a.m. and your update at that time from the City News Center. Uh, Let me do a little bit of housekeeping here with regard to what is still coming up on the show today. I'm still having the hardest time, I kid you not, and I'm sorry for this, but... It is Friday. It feels so strange to me, having been at the Kitchener Memorial Auditorium for a hockey game last night. and That means it was Friday last night for some reason. So here we are. And because it is Friday, we will, of course, have the coaches' show. So Kitchener Rangers head coach UC Ahokas will join us for a chat just after the noon news, so about an hour from now. Uh, Before we get there, and after the chat with the head coach, by the way, it will be the 12 o'clock talk back, uh, almost hour. It's uh, three quarters of an hour today. After the coaches show, we'll open up the phone lines for your calls during the talk back hour. Uh, about half an hour from now at 1130, uh, a regional councillor wants to pick up the ball dropped by Cambridge City Council when it voted down a motion to explore the idea of building housing over municipal parking lots. 
So I like the, at least since it was a failed motion and should not have been, frankly, in Cambridge, the region is looking at adopting this and maybe seeing if it can take the ball across the goal line. So we'll talk about that just after 11.30. And following this 11 a.m. update from the City News Centre, what is the outlook for the Canadian economy in 2024? You might not love it, but we'll get some inside information coming up. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Well, as you heard during all news mornings today on City News 570, our unemployment rate held at 5.8% in the month of December. What does that mean as we look ahead at the year to come and whether or not, because it sounds like the Bank of Canada with its interest rate hikes would actually like to see unemployment increase and then if it does, maybe those rates will come down a little bit. So if unemployment is holding steady, does that mean the higher interest rates that we're dealing with are going to be holding steady for the foreseeable future? And what else can we see in the economic crystal ball as we gaze into 2024? Ted Mallett is the Director of Economic Forecasting with the Conference Board of Canada, joins us to talk about it. Ted, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Let's start with that and interest rates from the Bank of Canada. Can we expect or hope for, anyway, a little bit of relief this year and maybe those rates coming down a bit? We we are going to see uh, rate relief coming up. Uh, We think probably in the uh, late spring, uh, early summer uh, of this year, uh, the the, the bank is really concerned about inflation. That, that they're, they're not as worried about uh, things like unemployment rates and so on. Really, they want to get inflation back to a stable 2% uh, range. And we're pretty close to that. But uh, it, it's hard to say. There's, there's a lot of outside influences that could uh, uh, you know, throw a wrench in sort of the, the worldwide price uh, area. There's lots of geopolitical uh, risk out there. Uh, trade... Uh, interruption of trade flows around the world have a big effect on price and inflation, and there's still we haven't settled uh, in that particular area. So the bank is not going to start r- reducing rates uh, very quickly, and we think that, but we think they will eventually. Uh, we, we, we're expecting uh, maybe a two and a half percent rate reduction by uh, uh, maybe a year and a half from now, and uh, so that should provide some rate relief, but it, it's not going to be quick. Uh, in in the next couple of months. Why is that target of 2% so important? Well, what's important is to make sure that people have a a stable sense of what price growth is. Uh, It's almost like uh, uh, automatic transmissions are are geared to uh, making sure that when you take your foot off the brake, the car creeps forward a bit. So people understand the nature of how uh, prices work in the the economy. Uh, They know that wage expectations are kept uh, at a certain level, but you know, whenever inflation is higher than that, it could be—is it three percent? Is it five percent? Uh, uh, so, 
decisions, business decisions, uh, employment decisions, and so on, get much more difficult if people don't have a good sense of what uh, uh, prices will be in two or three or four or ten years from now. So that's why the bank uh, really wants to get inflation to a uh, a, a stable sense. Two percent is 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 low, but it's it, it is creeping forward a little bit. Uh, and uh, but people can make uh, good decisions over the longer term that they can't if inflation is high. We are seeing reductions in both household and business spending as we begin this new year, Ted. Is that to be expected? Yes, uh, we've long expected uh, household spending to be uh, constrained. Uh, really, the, uh, the the big increase in in mortgage costs uh, and related to that is is uh, rental costs uh, going up tremendously. Uh, now, I think we've reached the peak of the the price changes. Uh, uh, we're not expecting any more. Uh, interest rate increases, and we'll start seeing those uh, declining uh, through the uh, through the year. But uh, um, you know, the household sector and the business investment sector has been uh, told that the economy is not going to be growing, and and we've certainly seen that since uh, since the summer summer of last year. Uh, we think the economy will basically be a standstill until the spring, when when the expectation of rate relief is going to be coming up. Uh, uh, but you know, still lots of households. Still have to renew their uh, their their say five year mortgages that they negotiated during the pandemic uh, at, at higher rates, which will affect uh, you know how much uh, uh, you know where they allocate their uh, their their disposable income. So uh, you know people do still have to make some adjustments to what they spend on. Speaking of economic growth or the lack thereof, is there any indication that we may dip into? that dreaded recession, I think it's been talked about for a year, maybe even 18 months now, hasn't quite materialized. Might this be the year that it does? Well, in fact, we may have already gone through the recession. I mean, <laughs> uh, the fourth quarter numbers uh, we're expecting to be negative, uh, which therefore meet the qualification of, of a technical recession. Uh, the first quarter of this year may, may actually be negative as well. So we may be uh, either just past or maybe still in a recession, just that the data haven't come back. But uh, it, it's, it's not... I mean, the, it, this is just terminology. Uh, you know, the economy has stopped. Whether it's recession or not doesn't really change the fact that, uh, you know, that, that's where uh, incomes are, that's where, where uh, growth uh, uh, expectations for, uh, for, for business owners and so on have, have, have stood on. So the, the label is not as important as uh, basically the, uh, the theme, which is uh, really the Bank of Canada engineered a slowdown to uh, reduce inflation. That has worked. And that we expect, uh, uh, you know, into the future that uh, growth should gradually come back. Uh, and we think that uh, 2025 will be a much better year than 2024. I like the way you put that, Ted, because I think the word recession uh, strikes a little bit of fear in some folks. And, and really what we're talking about, even if we have entered that technical recession or maybe even gone through it, as you just point out, it's, it's not like the recessions we have seen from decades past. Exactly. It, it, it is a matter of semantics. Uh, and, you know, technically, the, the pandemic had a, a massive decline of, of economic growth in the first quarter of 2020. Uh, but, you know, a big rebound in 2020, uh, sort of the second quarter of, of, of that year. So that didn't meet the technical definition of recession, even though it was a massive, uh, absolutely massive shift in, in how the economy performed. Uh, here, we're, we're dealing with maybe three quarters of uh, your very slightly negative growth, uh, which would meet that definition, but uh, 
really what matters is that, uh, you know, over that period of time, the, uh, the economy did slow. Uh, incomes have actually performed relatively well, and, and the, the labor market, even though the latest numbers showed, uh, you know, basically stoppage in, in, in total employment growth, uh, has has done relatively well compared to past recessions. So, uh, you know, we think that this was a, a modest adjustment compared to the other uh, others we had seen in previous decades. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're almost we're almost through it. So hopefully we'll we'll start seeing better news coming up in the next few months. When it comes to GDP, Ted, I, I've heard it argued that any growth we're seeing or even, you know, GDP not declining is is attributable to the increase that we've seen in the population. So really, when you spread out uh, the GDP over the number of households, we would see a decline. Uh, how, do, how are you viewing GDP right now and where we're at? Well, we see it the same way. I mean, yeah. with, with the, the only reason we're seeing only, you know, only a modest decline in, in, uh, in, in total economic growth is because uh, there's been such a, a huge increase in the, in the population, both the uh, 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 permanent and non, non-permanent residents in, in this country. So uh, they are spending money in the country. They're, they're buying food. They're buying, uh, uh, they have to uh, find places to live. So they are contributing to the economy. Uh, the, the question is, are they, uh, is everybody contributing to the same level uh, as the average was in previous years? Uh, and uh, the, the answer is no. So the, the per capita growth in the economy is actually uh, declining uh, at, at a meaningful rate. So you know that's what really what we want to uh, start arresting and, and turning around. Uh, you know, generally immigration is good for the economy, and but it does take some time for uh, uh, new entrants to sort of get a lay of the land. They understand what the uh, the skill levels are, or what they what's needed in uh, in the workforce. Uh, so it is it is a, a long term positive, but there are some uh, basically short term uh, uh, limitations to to how beneficial that can be. You mentioned earlier that 2025 is giving indication now that we're going to be seeing signs of improvement, a stronger economy. Does that mean perhaps the message for 2024 is buckle in, it's going to be a little bumpy? Well, I think we've already gone through the bumpiest portion of it. Uh, the rates are not increase, or interest rates are not increasing anymore. We expect to see some relief uh, over the next little while. So uh, not a big change. You know, wages kept up reasonably well in in 2023 so i think the notion is that uh, we're not out of the woods yet and we're certainly keeping an eye on the geopolitical risks uh, out there but uh, you know we think we'll start seeing some rate reduction in uh, uh, in the spring or early summer of, of this year ted really appreciate you making time for the show today thanks very much for being here it's my pleasure thank you Ted Mallet is the Director of Economic Forecasting with the Conference Board of Canada. I, I really like where he's coming from in that the bumpiest may already be behind us. Because let's be honest, it, it's been a bit bumpy, right? I'm not telling tales out of school when I say that. We had a call earlier this week, I, I believe it was uh, Dylan who said that um, something about the financial house being on fire. And, and I think many of us are feeling... That squeeze, right? It it ain't inexpensive out there, to put it as mildly as I can. Things are costing us more. The real value of our earnings has gone down because of inflation and our increases at work, if we even received one, are likely not matching 
that increase to inflation, and so on and so forth. We could take some comfort in the fact that we're not living in the Niagara region because it is being singled out, the Niagara region, as imposing the largest regional property tax increase in the province, 14.6% over a two-year period. I don't know, we're awfully, awfully close to that. If not, aren't we above in the region of Waterloo? Because we were like eight and a half last year, weren't we? And then almost eight this year? Eesh. Anyway, it, things are tough. Nothing is getting less expensive. And I'm sure if you have a mortgage coming up for renewal this year, you are approaching that with some degree of trepidation. But again, just to consider what Ted was talking about, perhaps the bumpiest is already behind us and we can look forward to uh, easier economic times towards the end of this year and into 2025. Good to have Ted Mallett from the Conference Board of Canada join us on the program to talk about where our Canadian economy is headed in this year. It's very early in the year. How are you feeling? You feeling optimistic? That unemployment rate this morning suggests that at minimum, look, I don't think there's a chance that the Bank of Canada is going to raise interest even more, right? The question is, when does the first cut come? When can we start seeing the decreases that I think many of us are looking for? How are you feeling about the state of the economy, the cost of living as we enter a new year? Your thoughts always welcome on the program. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. The label is not as important as the theme, which is really the Bank of Canada engineered a slowdown to reduce inflation. That has worked and that we expect into the future that growth should gradually come back. And we think that 2025 will be a much better year than 2024. Ted Mallett, Director of Economic Forecasting with the Conference Board of Canada. I love, I love that little clip that Devin Robertson, the guy on the other side of the glass, pulled out of that conversation for us because it's very optimistic, right? Things are getting better. And in fact, we may have already gone through the bumpiest of the ride, but it has been bumpy, hasn't it? 519-570-2545, star 570-1800-570-5715. Kyle, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Well, I'm optimistic. I mean, like you said, 2025 hopefully should be a good year. But this year and last year, well, 2024 and then 2023, um, yeah, it's been tough. I mean, obviously, we haven't been putting as, I mean, personally for me, I've been putting uh, as much money in my savings as I'd like to. But you have to kind of just adjust with the way the market is going. And, and you know, things have slowed down a little bit in, in running my own business. And, you know, there's not as much freight going around and the rates have been a little bit lower. But, you know, at the end of the day, like like I've talked to my other half there and, and I said to her, I said, listen, you just got to we're going to get through this. It's going to be a little bit tougher. We might not be able to do the things that we wanted to do this year. But it just means that next year we're just got to we do more things because we're just going to have a little bit more money saved up. But we're definitely a lot stringent. And uh, I'm hoping that this guy that you had on will, you know, where we're going to be uh, a lot better in 2025. Thanks there, Mike. Just before I let you go, Kyle, yeah. are yeah. you are you hoping are you hoping that Ted Mallet is right? Because that's the whole point. I want to make more and more money. I like money. I love money. You like money. You love money. That's the whole point, right? I want to make more and more money, and I don't want to be paying it for more and more taxes, Mike. You know, I want to put more and more for myself. I can't believe you still have that. Uh, when you said that the other day, I made a point right away. I'm like, I got to hang on to this because that's a great clip. 
hey, capitalism at its finest, right? Yeah, so. and you, you you spelled it out perfectly, yes. All right, thanks there, Mike. <laughs> thanks, Kyle. Appreciate the call. Always good to hear from you. And the other day when I heard from Kyle, he said this. That's the whole point, because I want to make more and more money. I like money. I love money. <laughs> I like money. I love money. I don't just like money. I love money. When you talk about, and, and Kyle comes to this, obviously from a, a very interesting and different perspective. He likes money. He loves money. That's the whole point is making money. He runs his own business so that he can get out there and he can hustle and he can make as much money as he possibly can because that's what capitalism requires of you. The challenge that I think has really come to bear over these past 12 to 24 months has been with the rather incredible increase to the cost of living people who are not in Kyle's position with the ability to get out there and hustle harder and make more money or do whatever, or as Kyle just said, you know, he's not contributing as much to his savings as he would like to, right? And he's he's readjusting his household finances and his household budget. The, The problem is there are some folks for whom there's not even an ability to put money into savings. In fact, what they're doing is just hanging on by a thread and and hoping or hoping to not accumulate too much debt right because there might not be enough money left at the end of the month i i ran into that problem boy oh boy let me tell you uh when i first moved away for my first full-time job in radio i took a job in a small town in british columbia and look i was a young man i was just starting i i wasn't I wasn't the world wisest, I can tell you that for sure. And so I just sort of did things uh, kind of the way they'd always been done. You know, you expect to have a certain amount of food in the house or this is what you buy when you go to the grocery store. I wasn't exactly coupon clipping. And it got to a point where I was regularly buying my groceries with my credit card. Now, I wasn't making a lot of money, but I think I could have made better decisions. I know I could have as, as I look back on that. And the reality today is for some folks with increases particularly, and there was a story in today's paper about this, uh, the cost of rent can really be, the increases to the, the costs of rent can really be difficult on seniors, for example, because of course, fixed income. So as some of us hustle harder and or put less into savings, yet continue to, at least to some degree, prosper in difficult economic times. There are challenges for some that are almost insurmountable. Just consider something else that was referenced on the show already this week, and that is the uh, increase in demand for the services of the Food Bank of Waterloo Region, and so it goes. It, it It's tough, but our guest from the Conference Board of Canada, Ted Mallet, their director of economic forecasting, uh, points out that the bumpiest of the ride may already be behind us and things are certainly looking at signs of improvement through the end of this year and then into next year as well. So that's something I think we can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief for. And if indeed you have a mortgage coming up for renewal this year, Godspeed is all I can say to you about that. All right, uh, we're going to get you to the City News Center for your 11.30 update. That's just a few minutes away. And then let's have a conversation about housing over parking. No, no, not that conversation. The one that we had when Cambridge City Councillor Scott Hamilton 
brought forward a motion that was voted down at Cambridge Council. Cambridge Council has been almost universally criticized for that decision, and I would join the chorus of critics in that. It it just makes no sense that you wouldn't, at minimum, get your municipal staff to prepare a report to consider what the possibility would look like. But fear not, at least Councillor Hamilton in Cambridge sparked a conversation. He got people listening and thinking, and now a regional councillor is picking up that ball and saying, hey, maybe we should explore this at the regional level. Good idea. And we'll find out or we'll speak to the person behind that idea. Coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. Stay with us. This is City News 570. You can't keep a good idea down. It's as simple as that. And as has been said before by people far more intelligent than me, nobody's got the market cornered on good ideas. I think Cambridge City Councillor Scott Hamilton had a very good idea when he asked that Cambridge Council consider a motion to look at the possibility of building housing over existing parking lots. It's basically what it sounds like. You take a municipal parking lot, city-owned land that is currently being used for parking, and you build housing above it. So the parking spots, almost all of them, remain in place, and you use existing city land to create more housing. More housing is good for the supply and demand argument, and you could even make this affordable housing and get an affordable housing partner on board, and there's just a lot to like about the idea. For some reason, for reasons that are very difficult to explain, the city of Cambridge and its council shot down the motion by a 5-4 vote. So not even going to take a look at the possibility in the city of Cambridge. But like I said, nobody's got the market cornered on good ideas. And when you put a good idea out there for others to hear, they might just take it up themselves. And I think that's what has happened with our next guest, who is Pam Wolf, a regional councillor who represents Cambridge. And I think Pam Wolf thinks that this housing over parking idea is at least worth exploring a little further. Pam, good morning. Good morning, Mike. (laughs) Is that fair to say that you think that the housing over parking is something we should take a closer look at? Definitely. You know, I've been on board with this idea since I first heard about it, I guess, with um, Citizens for Cambridge. And and it has been done in other cities. And, uh, you know, and I think Scott was the person to bring forward the motion. And, uh, frankly, I was a bit surprised uh, when it didn't pass. So I do, you know, I respect the council and they have that right. But it was a tie vote and it, the mayor cast the deciding vote um, against it. But, um, you know, so many people in Cambridge are are for it. And I, Doug Craig and I, both representing, you know, the city of Cambridge, are in favor of bringing it forward to the region. But, um, you know, 
even at their meeting, all the delegates that spoke were in favor of the motion. So we had, um, uh, you know, Philip Mills from, you know, Habitat for Humanity, uh, Dr. Brian Doucette, the, you know, research chair for urban change and social inclusive, inclusion from the school, you know, the planning department of the University of Waterloo. We had, we had Joan Fisk from United Way, Amanda Maxwell representing uh, Citizens for Cambridge, Brian Kennedy, the BIA. But, you know, all of those groups. But talking to Scott today, he's had more emails, you know, on this motion and people asking him to continue this fight than he's had any motions. And I'd say the same for Rob and Doug and I, that we've had emails, phone calls, um, you know, a lot of support for people saying, you know, what about the region? If Cambridge, you know, is, doesn't want to look into it right now, will the region? So on that front, Pam, I, I confess and see, I, I, I like to think I know everything. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know the region had parking lots of its own. I thought the cities ran them all. Uh, no, we do have. Uh, we do have some. We have um, at one fifty Main. That's regional. Okay. And uh, Regina and a, and a few others. But that's why my motion is is going to be a little different than Scott's. It's going to encompass more than just parking lots. Um, it will include all land and buildings owned by the region, and we are looking for all options and construction concepts and looking for potential partners because we don't want the idea to end here. And we want to, uh, um, you know, we're looking for all creative solutions to the housing crisis and looking at all the land and buildings that we own. I'm very impressed with our staff. If you, you know, read all the details of our um, uh, motion or, I guess, uh, project on to end chronic homelessness, um, to build our housing plan, affordable housing plan, which is to create 500 units per year. We're looking at everything. So an example is on Concession Street when we were looking at a new um, hub for uh, paramedics and ambulance service. We're doing that with affordable housing. So everything that we're looking at these days, we're looking at through a housing um, lens. So if we're going to redevelop a property, housing is part of that, you know, no matter what, you know, what it is. So parking lots, um, you know, fit into this idea, fit into what we want to do. So I think then you at least partially answered one of the questions I had about this when you said you're going beyond mere parking lots. You're looking at available lands, even where buildings, current buildings. So I I don't, I'm not asking you to cite an example of a building because I'm not trying to pin you down to a a location or to get somebody thinking in a different direction. But does that mean then, Pam, for a a current regionally owned building or property where a building sits, you'd consider finding a way to incorporate housing into that existing building? Yeah, and that's what the motion is saying. Yeah. If anything, staff, you know, have been very cooperative and everything, but they're sort of saying to me, um, do we need the motion because we're already, this is what we already think we're doing. And we, you know, Rob and I explained that after the, the Cambridge motion failed, 
we've had a lot of bad press and a lot of people are wondering what government is doing and are we looking at creative ideas. So that's really the, the why we're bringing forward the motion is to amplify um, the desire of the public, the desire of pretty well everyone, is to, um, we're in a housing crisis, we need to do everything we can to, to fix it. And so we're just reinforcing to our staff that regional council, if it passes, is behind them looking at all creative solutions, including parking lots. So where are we going from here, Pam? We've got the idea. We've got uh, your motion. What's the procedure from this point? So January 24th, it would go to council. And if it passes, then we were we are asking for a report on the feasibility of the parking lot design as well as any other uh, things that um, staff come up with. And I think they've already got a few things in the works. So, um, and also, I think that if we, if we, if it passes, I know even in Kitchener, they're looking. One of their councillors is looking at a similar motion. So I think it's, in, and I know, just the um, input that Scott got from well, CFRB and Toronto and other places around the country. You know, people are interested in the idea. So whatever report um, the regional council comes up with, even if we can't say it's going to happen on this parking lot in the region because we have so very few, other people can take up the idea. And and people are thinking, beyond, you know, I got a really um, interesting email just um, an hour ago and uh, from... A woman and she said she's been thinking about the parking lot idea and she said um, parking lots are like deserts in our cities they are crushing hot in the summer no shade and heat raiding off the pavements and in winter akin to arctic wasteland no shelter and cold concrete and she suggests that if we built the houses over them we provide shade in the summer and reduce snow plowing and the use of salt on them in the winter and then she added we could put green roofs solar panels on the buildings and that's something that I hadn't thought of. I had thought of the idea that if you're building housing in urban parking lots, they're near services, near businesses, near transportation, which are all good things for the environment. But, you know, but people, it's got people thinking and that's a good idea, a good way, you know, for things to go. You mentioned earlier, and I'm, again, I'm just thinking of a possibility here when you're you talked about the a new paramedic services uh, building, which could also incorporate housing. So is that similar to what we have at uh, Weber and Water Street, I guess, in Kitchener, where there's the, um, the, the paramedics building with the ambulances, et cetera, that another building like that could have housing as a part of it? Yeah, and that, and that already has passed um, council, that idea, that whole concept. So now it's just a matter of, of us doing it, like, building permits, et cetera. So, um, and we are, you know, actively looking at all the buildings that uh, the region currently owns and seeing how we, you know, and, and looking at them through a housing um, lens. And, uh, you know, staff are, you know, really eager to go in this direction. And, um, you know, and I think regional council is, 
more than willing to support them. You had mentioned at the outset, Pam, that other cities have done this. I'm aware of Germany as one example where this has been sort of pioneered. Are there any cities in North America doing this? Um, not, well, not the way I in Germany, but if you look at even how people are building houses, you know, Cambridge is full of bedrock. So often the first layer is parking sites. So it's not such an unusual concept. We need, um, you know, to do this. I can't cite you. I can't, excuse me. I can't cite you um, an example off the top of my head that, that they've, where they've taken an urban parking lot and, you know, put it on pillars. Definitely we've taken urban parking lots and built other things. I don't think, and, and you you referred to uh, this a moment ago too, that you're confident that this will uh, will pass and, and we'll get this report some point down the road. I mean, we don't even want to talk about the possibility of this going the way it went in Cambridge, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, Pam, I credit you for uh, picking up the ball that was fumbled and getting this moving forward. Uh, should it pass the motion on January the 24th, do we have any idea... Uh, the length of time it will take for a report to come back? I know, but that will be determined, you know, at the council meeting. Sure, yeah. Okay, we're going to circle January the 24th on our calendars because I, like you, have been hearing a ton about this idea since we had Scott Hamilton on the air. I know there are a lot of people interested in exploring it, so good on you. Whoa, there we go. Good on you for getting it uh, started at the regional level, Pam. Thanks for joining the show this morning. You're welcome. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Pam Wolf is a regional councillor representing Cambridge. And as I said, just at the end of the conversation, I, I do give Pam and her colleagues at regional council credit for picking up the ball that was indisputably fumbled by the city of Cambridge. All Scott Hamilton's motion was asking for was a report from staff, at the city of Cambridge to explore the possibility of building housing over municipal parking lots. I mean, it, if ever there was a no-brainer. And some of the opposition put forward to the motion, to even adopting the motion to produce the report, well, who, who's going to pay for any of the damages or anything that might happen to the parking lot when you build the housing? Uh, dear city of Cambridge, you already paid and continue to pay for the upkeep of that parking lot. So I, I don't know what you're thinking, that the housing could be such a, a an onerous addition to an existing parking lot. So that, to me, made no sense. And then the point that was made by Cambridge Mayor Jan Liggett, who believes that this is the work that should be done uh, by churches or organizations like the YMCA. Why? Like, why? sure, they could too, but, but why can't the city take the lead on an initiative like this. It was an absolute fumbling and bumbling and stumbling by Cambridge City Council. And at minimum now, I hope Scott Hamilton is putting up his feet, enjoying a beverage of his choice and looking at the rewards of getting the conversation into the public realm because regional council appears ready to pick it up 
and get a report generated to see what we might be able to do, not just on parking lots, but on any regional land, even where a building currently exists. If indeed we are in a housing crisis, and I think we agree that we are. So if we agree that we're in a housing crisis, then you must look at everything through that lens of housing, right? If we're building X, Y, or Z, and maybe the X that we're building is a new paramedic services building, well, then how can we incorporate housing into that? If we look at an existing parking lot on Regina Street or at 150 Main in Cambridge, and we say, hmm, that right now is just some asphalt. How can we incorporate housing into that? And you can see where this goes. At minimum, the exploration of this makes utmost sense because it is a crisis after all. That's my 10 cents on it. What's yours? Does this idea have merit? Are you happy to hear that the region has picked up where Cambridge Council let us down? 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. why we're bringing forward the motion is to amplify the desire of the public, the desire of pretty well everyone. We're in a housing crisis. We need to do everything we can to fix it. And we're just reinforcing to our staff that regional council, if it passes, is behind them looking at all creative solutions, including parking lots. Oh, don't get yourself confused. It's not Kim Mitchell, at least not exactly. It's Max Webster in the world of giants by request by our buddy Joe, who sent an email to Mike at 570news.com for all request Friday. Remember, if there's a song that you'd like to hear even a little bit of during the show, we take your requests on Fridays. Shoot me an email, Mike at 570news.com. The voice you heard there, of course, was that of Pam Wolf regional councillor representing Cambridge, who is bringing forward a motion on January the 24th, so just a few weeks from now, to explore the idea of housing over parking and on other regionally owned lands in this region, because the city of Cambridge decided it couldn't even explore the possibility. The region will. It will not. This motion will not fail a council. I'm confident of that. Let's go to the phone and find out what you think about the idea. Aaron, good morning. Hey, you there? I am here. Are you there? So, here's a couple quick questions for you. So, if you build a housing complex over top of a parking lot, you dig down, whatever, blah, 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 who's now liable for it? So, when the car's sitting in their idling house, you know, we'll go with the ICE conventional vehicle. So, trucks, cars, things idling in there, people warming them up, trying to go, so it leaks in, somebody dies because of asphyxiation, COT poison. How is it any different than an apartment building parking lot, Aaron? They're generally not built directly underneath the parking lot. The buildings are not built generally over top of If you look, you go at Westmount, you go at Lincoln Road, you go to them, the parking lots are actually offset to the buildings, specifically for some of those reasons. Then, now let's put in, let's say, hey, it's 2030, everything's got to be electric. Tesla goes up down there. You need 3 million gallons of water to put that Tesla out. Nope. Now you've just lost the whole housing complex because one Tesla has gone up in the battery. 
All right, Aaron, listen, I appreciate the call and the concerns raised, and dare I say that in the creation of the report to explore the possibilities of this motion, regional staff will look at those eventualities. Gerald, good morning. Morning, Mike. Um, first of all, let me say, uh, you know, I don't want to sound like a NIMBY or, or someone who's, uh, who's not uh, willing to look at solutions, and this may be a solution, but what worries me um, is that, and, and I think it, we talked about it Tuesday, uh, this past Tuesday when you had the show on about sustainability and tax increases, and my feeling is that the Ontario government uh, and, and to a certain extent the federal government have created this problem uh, by various different things, uh, caving into developers and uh, immigration, uh, you know, pure demographics that should have been addressed uh, years ago, mental health reasons for homelessness, addiction, all those things. These have been 40 years in the making. This didn't happen overnight. And I understand there's a critical uh, piece of this that that needs to be addressed because people are on the street. However, I think that if the city or the region go down this road, they're almost playing into the hands of the province, which I believe are the only ones who can fix this problem because they're the only ones who have money or the feds who have can actually print money and the region of the city will just be abdicating it, playing into their hands, and 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 with no firm uh, commitments from the, those two levels of government that they're going to chip in and, and try to help with this. So there goes your your city taxes, your regional taxes again, uh, putting money where they're not accountable for creating the problem. That's for darn sure. Gerald, anyway, that's my opinion. Yeah, no, listen, really well said again, and I thank you for it and. Great point, uh, truly. There's no question that we did not arrive where we're at in this crisis, word used deliberately and I believe accurately. We did not arrive in this crisis overnight. And and so what it requires is a whole heck of a lot of creativity, some jam here. And I think we've got some of that with an idea like this. But Gerald, I, I hear you. Are, are we letting the upper levels of government that failed us to this point off the hook by doing this work. Perhaps we are, but boy, oh boy, somebody has got to do something or maybe everybody has got to do lots of things. And this could be seen as the leadership position that I believe it to be. But your points are very well taken and very well articulated. All right, we're coming up on the noon and hour update from the City News Center. We'll get you there for that. And then It's Friday. I keep reminding myself of this. And even though the Rangers do not play tonight, we will remain consistent with our coaches show. The head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, UC Ahokas, joins us next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Take out the papers and the trash. Oh, but please do talk back during the 12 o'clock. 
talkback hour. I, I feel like I misled you, and I guess I feel that way because I did. I told you before the news update that we would be having a conversation right now with the head coach of the Kitchener Rangers, UC Ahokas, but one of two things has happened. Number one is he's crushed by the six consecutive goals, including four in the final 50 seconds, two of them into the empty net, but nonetheless, six straight goals scored by Czechia to come from a 5-2 deficit and beat Finland 8-5 at the World Junior Hockey Championships. So Czechia gets the bronze medal. Former Kitchener Ranger Tomasz Homera scoring one of those goals for Czechia and then doing one of the coolest things, lifting his sweater and kissing the emblem on the front. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, but that's got to be tough for the Finnish head coach of the Kitchener Rangers. What I think is more likely, though, is that he's on the ice with the team practicing right now because they are getting a practice in before we get on board the bus and head to the North Country, as Don Cameron would have called it. We're playing a game in Sudbury tomorrow and North Bay on Sunday, and today is travel day. Not to mention, I'll just add a third element into this. It still feels like that weird holiday week, right? Kids are off school. We played a Thursday night home game at the Odd last night. Rangers fell 3-2 to the Saginaw Spirit. So if you want to hear more of UC Ahokas' thoughts on all of this, which is what we would have talked to him about during the coaches' show today. Just make sure you join our broadcasts on the weekend from Sudbury and North Bay. During our pregame show, I will have a chat with UC Ahokas, and you can learn more about the game ahead and the game that just was. A game last night during which the Rangers mustered just 13 shots on goal. But I do apologize for telling you that the head coach was coming up and then we were unable to make the connection with him. And so we will just move into our 12 o'clock talk back hour where you get to tell us what's on your mind today. What stories in the news are getting you talking? What are you thinking about and or feeling? 519-570-2545, star 570, 1-800-570-5715. Andre, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Hi, Andre. Um, so I got I got two points. One is quick. One has to do with last night, unfortunately. Um, I don't know if you and Paul misheard me. <laughs> um, but the point is, when I talk about Matthew Sapp, up um, to be trained for our blue line that needs to be reinforced. Right, but Andre, let me just, if I can, I, I don't want to be so interruptive, but okay. I'm going to, because really there, there's no point in going any further on that. Uh, there's, there, okay. the Matt Sop will not be traded, and I don't think he should be traded, so we shouldn't even have the conversation. So I, how are we going to get something powerful at the blue line? Well, that's what the general manager, Mike McKenzie, is going to figure out, and he will figure yeah, it out. Okay, well... All my respect to Mike McKenzie, Tom Hodge, look what happened. Smith, look what happened. And my favorite player, Reed Vallad, right? Well, Reed Vallad graduated out of the league. He can't, he, 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 he's too old to play here now. Okay. And same thing with Vandenberg. I know Person is, is actually, he's, he's good. He's confident. He's like Martin Berdor. Okay. We got, we got, we got, I think, lucky there, or he could see more than I could see. It's just we, we've, we've, we've let some awesome players go. And I know, I know we have some new young player, like Tom was saying, we should not exchange them. Uh, we, war, we are on a rebuild, yes, but 
like they're giving us more than we expected, like you said at the beginning of the year, correct? Yes. So, Andre, listen, I, I want to get to some other callers, and I don't want to make this all yeah. about the ins and outs of a sports talk show, okay? But, okay. The, yes, the Kitchener Rangers will probably make an addition to their blue line. All I'm telling you is that in doing that, they're not going to trade away somebody they need at the forward position. Because if they're going to go somewhere, they're going to need a player like Matt Sopp. Simple well, as that. Especially when you have, like I said on, your, on my text to you, especially when you have Philip Mashar who could put it on anybody's tape. Right. right? So you, you're going to keep Matt Sopp. So let's just, Mike McKenzie will figure out the blue line, and we're going to yeah. keep cheering for Matt Sopp and the rest of the forwards. No, I'm going to cheer for Corson Rakoff. Okay, you can do that too. All right. So my second point. Yes, sir. Um, is this is a tough one I'm going to try just to be quick so I can continue next week Mike because I know you got a busy weekend is uh, <clears throat> about this freaking rent increasement how it's affecting so many people and I've said it many years now and it's creating a lot of stress for so much people that how when you have couples that cannot be together can go somewhere and live separately and do best as a separated family for our children, you know what I mean, or support each other. It's creating a world of hate, a world of non-acceptance, a world that people are sick and tired of going to grocery store, a world of, you know what I mean? And I don't... I don't Honestly, Andre, I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what you mean. The, what's the... The, the cost of rent is, is, is forcing people to live apart? Long when, when this year, I expect this year to be the worst before okay, it gets better. But I, I don't understand about people living apart. What's the high cost of rent okay. got to we, do with We had many subjects on your show. I don't know what it's called, but because the, the rent... Okay, I have so many friends that are even nurse or even counselor that cannot live together because they want to be separated because since before COVID. COVID hit, they were together for three years, and now they want to get out and be free. They can't. Life does not permit that. You can't even go nowhere in Canada, pretty much, to do that. To do what, Andre? To do what, Andre? To live separately. Okay, why why do they want to live separately? Because of COVID? No, because of... They had a, a relationship breakdown? A lot of people's relationship broke. Okay, so that's... I'm just trying to understand, Andre. Yeah. Okay, so they want to live separately because their relationship broke down. Yes. Okay. COVID forced them to be together for three years. There's so many domestic disputes. There's so many shooting. There's so many people stabbing because they can't get along. Okay. Yeah, Andre, listen, I'm I'm so sorry. I... It's all... I, I... Yes, there was an increase, and, and we've talked about it on the show, to incidents of domestic violence because people were staying home, right? And, and sometimes that meant staying home in abusive relationships. I was just talking to uh, a colleague yesterday, and we agreed that there was, that we all know this, there was a change in all of us during COVID. It has, it has frayed relationships. Uh, in, in some cases, it has it has split up families a hundred percent i don't understand where the high cost of rent comes in on this and nowhere in canada like i know lots of people who have left this region for less expensive places elsewhere i'll just put that out there so i think there are places in canada 
but I do agree that the cost of living is extraordinarily high. Uh, the cost of rent is extraordinarily high. And, and maybe Andre's point is people are staying together because they can't afford to split up when it's probably best for their family to split up. And, and my heart goes out to folks in that situation for sure. Kyle, 12 o'clock talk back. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. All right. Did you ever figure out my question today I asked you about, do you know what the sign means oh, for downtown Cambridge? That's okay. No, I didn't yet, but I, and I forgot by this morning because that's how dumb I am or how forgetful I am. So give me the whole question because this is a great question. Okay. So my girlfriend and I were driving uh, back from, um, from Niagara and we passed a sign that says Cambridge and then it says downtown and it will say like 15 kilometers. But what do they mean by downtown Cambridge? Is it Galt? Is it Preston? Is it Hessler? Like, which, which downtown is it? Yeah, we and don't, know. don't forget Blair. What about the downtown of Blair? Oh, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's four <laughs> different downtowns. I don't know which one there is. So maybe Paul from Preston will know. I don't know what that exact means. I have no idea. Um, so, yeah, Mike, maybe maybe someone knows. But uh, I, I just thought if you'd, li- well, you'd like it. Also, don't want don't to make you too jealous. But I am seeing a couple of NHL hockey games this year and a concert that we're going to. Nice. Good for you. So we're going to see the Toronto Maple Leafs play because I'm allowed to say it on the air. <laughs> and I'm also going to see that team that shall not be named in that city that shall not be named. Okay. And then, and then we're also seeing the Chili Peppers play in Toronto. That's fantastic, buddy. Good for you. So it'll be, it'll be fun. And, and, and the best part is, is it's going to be a family thing every time, like, my dad's coming, and he's the one that introduced me to the Chili Peppers back when I was a kid. And it, it was like the thing I always said to myself. I said, you know what? The one thing that I want to do with my dad is see the Chili Peppers together. So my sister decided to say, well, I'm coming with you guys. So I guess she's coming too. My girlfriend's coming. It's, it's going to be fun. Lawn seats, I don't care where we are. You're seeing a concert at the end of the day, and it's fun. So there you go, Mike. Thank you very much. If anybody knows the Cambridge thing, I'd love to learn about it. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Kyle. Appreciate the call. Listen, you can say the, the city name Montreal because it's a great city. They just have a lousy, terrible, disgusting hockey team. Simple as that. Uh, I, I think it's awesome what you're doing with the hockey games and the concerts. The, the question is a, a terrific question. When you're on the 401 and you pass the sign that says Cambridge, downtown, 15 kilometers away, what downtown is the sign referring to? It is my belief that it's referring to the downtown of Galt. But... Who knows in Cambridge? What, what is defined as the, def, what is the definitive downtown of Cambridge? I don't know. But my, I submit to you that the downtown in question is Galt. Speaking of concerts, I wanted to share this one little bit with you today because it's a, a notable day in music history. It was on this day in 1973, January 5th, 1973, that the debut album from this rock and roller was released. I wonder, though, if you can spot the song by listening to it. Like a deuce, another runner in the night Friday, 
Okay, so you know the song now, but did it sound like the Blinded by the Light that you know? Greetings from Asbury Park, the debut album from The Boss, Bruce Springsteen, released on this day in 1973. The funny thing is, that song became a number one hit. It didn't even chart for Springsteen, but it became a number one hit for Manfred Mann's Earth Band. Where are they now? Exactly. Where's The Boss now? Exactly. But for whatever reason, that song didn't take for Springsteen, but he's still going strong. And Manfred Mann's Earth Band, not quite so much. I don't like cover songs. Maybe you want to weigh in with your favorite cover song on the Talkback Hour today. Maybe you've got the answer to Kyle's question about what downtown the City of Cambridge sign is referring to when you pass it on the 401. You can share those observations with James Sebastian Scott because I got to go. Even though the coach wasn't here, I got to go see the coach because we're headed to Sudbury today. James Sebastian Scott takes over for the rest of the hour. Be nice to the supply teacher. This is the Mike Farwell Show. And the 12 o'clock talk back on City News 570. Welcome back to the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. I'm with you for the next 40 minutes. I know, short time for me, short time for me. While I enjoy doing the show, that's Mike's area. But travel day today for the Rangers on a Friday, which is so weird. So weird. They usually play Friday nights at the odd. They're going up north this weekend to play Sudbury and North Bay. And they don't they don't touch Sault Ste. Marie, which they normally do in that northern Ontario road trip that they usually take. Not this time. Because they're going to Sault Ste. Marie at the end of this month. So they have to go back up north. So you'll probably, in a couple of weeks, you're likely towards the end of January, going to hear from Larry Fedorik because <laughs> we have to plan for this, right? We have to plan for Mike to be away, and that's a Friday night game in Sault Ste. Marie. Now, I know Mike I know Mike knows who does the schedule for the OHL, so I'm going to get him to call that person and say, what are you doing to the business of this radio station by scheduling a Friday night game in Sault Ste. Marie for Kitchener? That's it. It's affecting, it's affecting how I do things here, right? Like, why couldn't they just add in that, you know, maybe not play Saginaw last night and then, you know, play Sault Ste. Marie tonight and then Mike would have left Wednesday. I would have appreciated that a little bit more because then I get it out of the way. I don't have to fill in for Mike. We have someone else that does it. It's, you know, it, a little bit makes, makes sense to me, OHL. The... One thing they didn't do is ask me what my programming grid was going to look like for this road trip. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough, OHL. Fair enough. It's not all about me and the radio station. I get it. I get it. We have Pete on the line. Pete. Yeah, the answer to the question at the center of Cambridge, it is Galt. It's Galt. That's where the city hall is. Yeah, there's no question about it. It's Galt. Yeah. Whoever said it's anything else doesn't know Cambridge. No. Yeah, I agree with you. And I and, and listen, this is this is a guy that lives in Hespler. I know. Right? 
I live yeah. in Hespler, and I even agree that it's Galt. Figure that one out. Yeah, I, li- <laughs> I lived in Galt and Preston and Hespler, and downtown has always been Galt, unless you say Preston downtown or right. Hespler downtown. Exactly. Yeah, you got it. I'm glad that you agree with it being Galt, Pete. I mean, it was just a stupid question if you ask me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Appreciate the call. And that, it was a stupid question, according to Pete. And maybe it could have been. I don't know. But at the same time, it got us thinking, right? What does What is talk radio supposed to do? It's supposed to make you think, right? So we localized it a little bit. We made us think. And who, who, who made that call, Devin? Was it Kyle? Was it Kyle that made that call? It's always downtown Galt. No questions asked. And if anyone says that they're downtown and they're in Cambridge, it means that they're downtown Galt. Unless they specify like Pete said. If they don't specify, I assume that you're in Galt. And then if you think that you're not in Galt when you say downtown, then you don't know what that city makeup is all about. But if City Hall is downtown Galt, when you say downtown, it's Galt. Fair enough. I don't think... Anyone else would have any other arguments about that, but I see some more calls coming in, so we'll see. We'll see. All right, we have Grant on the line. Grant, go ahead. Yeah, did you watch the Ranger game last night at all? I, Ranger game? I, I'll be honest with you. I, I wasn't in front of my TV to watch the game last night. Okay. I, I listened to Mike and Paul, but I didn't watch it last night. And Otto, what did he say about the... Uh that slew foot that was against us, it kind of looked like a slew foot. It might not have looked as dangerous as it, as some are. Yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not sure, Grand. I I don't think I heard the, uh, them talk about any slew foot, um, but doesn't mean that they didn't. I'd have to go back and, and listen to to see what they said about it. And yeah. do you think they'll make any trades before the deadline? I like Mike. I just overheard him say maybe the blue line, but I I think I would just leave it the way it is. Like they didn't play that well last, and, and maybe it was because of Carson and Mashar not being there. Uh, but. I think they should just leave the team the way it is because even the last couple of games, they were winning without them. And those were players that that don't normally step it up, right? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to, uh, it's hard to say uh, if they're going to add or not because you're right, the team has been performing pretty well uh, as is. But as we we both know in junior hockey, when you're at the top of the standings in the Western Conference, the way that the Rangers are, and you see other teams adding that you're competing with, it's hard to just stay stay put, right? So I, I would assume that Mike McKenzie is trying to do everything he can to try and upgrade if he can. But realizing that, you know, they're in a position that they didn't think they would be in at this point of the season, uh, if coming into this season, right? So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. Anyway, okay. That, that was it. All right, Grant. Thanks. Appreciate the call. And I don't disagree with Mike. I think if they do do anything, it's likely a blue line move to get uh, more veteran guys maybe on that blue line um, who has some playoff experience. 
because you're going to need that come the stretch drive for sure. Um, we have to head to a break, though, and we'll come back with more of the Mike Farwell Show right after the news. This is Sydney News 570. All right, welcome back to the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Thanks for joining me in those last 40 minutes of the show. James Sebastian's got in for Mike. Mike's going to Sudbury. Because there ain't nothing like a Sudbury Saturday night, right? That's where the Rangers are playing tomorrow. You can hear that game right here on City News 570. We'll have the call for you, obviously. we. It'd kind of be funny if we sent Mike to Sudbury and then we wouldn't provide the call of the game, right? We obviously would. We wouldn't do that. All right, we have Paul on the line. Paul, go ahead. You know, I've been forced to call in today to clear up some uh, misconceptions. Uh-oh. Uh, Kyle, Kyle posed the question as to what exactly downtown Cambridge is. Okay. And this, this, this is a question that I feel that Mike should have known immediately what the uh, correct answer was. But apparently there's others that are somewhat confused about facts can, can, yeah. I, can i just stop you there though paul can i stop you there sure what if i told you that mike did know the answer and he just wanted to get the engagement from the listeners well you know there's always that possibility <laughs> so, okay uh, so i'm going to share the facts uh, with you uh, today perfect as to what downtown uh, cambridge is downtown cambridge is the area that is uh, king street and Westminster, basically with the Fiddle and Firkin centered in downtown Cambridge, the um, a, a very uh, very convenient place for me. It's uh, it's actually located maybe a, a five minute walk from the center of the universe, which would be my place. <laughs> of course, not too far from there. Now, when I say five, it's a five minute walk to go there. But getting back home, it's a half an hour walk. The, uh, I, difference, the difference is staggering. I see what you did there, Paul. I see what you did there. <laughs> but everybody knows that, came, uh, that uh, Preston is the, uh, uh, the main part of uh, Cambridge. Uh, you know, these people out in Galt and uh, the, these poor cousins out in Hespler, the other side <laughs> of the 401, they're just jealous that downtown Cambridge is King Street in Preston. Okay, Paul. You have a great day. You too. Thanks for the call. I appreciate that. I appreciate the clarity. Here, Here's the thing about Paul. We all know that Paul lives in Preston, right? We all know that. But when, I, when we even Google it, downtown Galt comes up as the downtown of Cambridge. So again, Paul, I appreciate you providing the facts. As you mentioned, they might be a little bit maybe biased, to Paul's area that he lives in, but that's okay. That's okay. We can all have we can all have this discussion. That's fine. That's what we're here for. I personally think it's downtown Galt. If Paul thinks otherwise, that's fine. This is why we have these conversations. But we all know, we all know, downtown Cambridge definitely isn't Hespler. We we, we that is we can all agree on that, right? So if there's any any adjudication that we need with this conversation, it's if Paul is right, who lives in Preston, 
or if it's everyone who thinks that it's cult. I wanted to go to Kyle next because of that call. So, Kyle, go ahead. Well, you know, I don't live in Cambridge, so I don't know where that peak guy thought that it was a stupid question. Sorry, man. I don't, I don't, we're not all smart like you. Well, uh, I, Kyle, I mean, I, I, I don't want your feelings to be hurt because of that comment. No, but I mean, like, I'm driving on the highway. It says downtown Cambridge. It doesn't say downtown Cambridge in quotes golf. It says well, downtown but, Cambridge, and I don't live in Waterloo Region. So if I'm driving by and I'm on the 401 and there's four different Cambridges, how am I going to know it's downtown golf? Well, that's that's a, that's exactly it, though, Kyle. There's not four different Cambridges. There's just three different villages in the city of Cambridge. Okay. Well, again, I don't live in Cambridge. I never grew up in Cambridge. I don't yeah. know. No, I, I get it. I, it's a it's a valid question for someone who's not from there, right? No, no, but I didn't realize it was a stupid question according to Pete. No, no. well, that was I think tongue in cheek by Pete, right? I guess so. Yeah. So, I didn't. I didn't know. I don't why. I don't want your Friday to be ruined, Kyle. It's not ruined. <laughs> I'm my, my, I'm done work today, so I'm actually on my way home. There you to, go. Uh, to go and watch a hockey game tonight, but no, no. I was just saying. I like. I. It's. It's now. I realize that it's golf, and I'm glad that there are people there that can answer my question. That's all I got to say. And thank you very much, James. Perfect. Thanks, <laughs> Kyle. Appreciate the call. There you go. I, listen, I don't want Kyle's feelings to be hurt by Pete, who said it was a dumb question. That's how Pete felt about that question. That's fine. I didn't say it was a dumb question. It's a valid question. But one thing that I want to turn to, because we all know, we all know the internet is always right when it comes to these discussions, right? So I found a thread on Reddit. And again, Grain of salt, please, because it's on Reddit. It's not the be-all, end-all. But someone asked this same very question on Reddit 10 months ago. When people say downtown Cambridge, where is this? That's all. Just a question from a newbie in town. It seems there is a downtown in Preston, Galt, and Hespler. Does one get the official status? Feel free to share other Cambridge lingo. And then one Redditor said... As someone from Hespler, downtown Cambridge is downtown Galt. If it's Hespler, someone would say downtown Hespler. And no one goes to downtown Preston, so you know it's not that. Again, that's not what I'm saying. That's what this Redditor is saying. So, Paul, please don't take that to any offense. Grain of salt, people, right? Grain of salt, right? And then someone agreed. This is the real answer. And then someone else said, no one goes to downtown Preston, so you know it's not that LOL harsh. It's very harsh. It's a very harsh comment. And Devin's laughing on the other side of the glass because Devin also, you grew up in Cambridge, right? That was, that's your area. Yeah, certified bridge boy. There you go. So this, this Reddit thread is peak Cambridge, right? The Very fa- much so. <laughs> yeah, the fact that it's on Reddit, people are arguing about where downtown is. It's peak Cambridge. Yeah. I mean, I can't put it more succinctly than that. There was another Redditor that said, I think it would mean downtown Galt since the downtown square in Hespler and Preston are really tiny. Anyone from Cambridge, please correct me if I'm wrong. I grew up in the Tri-Cities, so that is what I remember. I, I don't... Listen, size doesn't always matter, people. So it's not about the size of your town center, I don't think. It just, to me, when I think about what downtown is, I think about where City Hall is, where there's a lot of stuff happening, where the Ainsley Street Terminal is, that's in Galt's, all that stuff, right? So that's what I think about. But again, let's just put it this way, okay? 
There's three villages in Cambridge, and yeah, you can count Blair if you want to. That's fine. They kind of they're the they're the you know amalgamated cousin of Cambridge. That's fine, whatever. But at the same time, just think about it this way: each village has their own downtown. That's it, because you're not going to run into someone that lives in Cambridge and say, "I'm from Cambridge." You will not, unless they're an out of towner that wasn't born there. Even I'm not from here. And I say, I live in Hespler. I don't say I live in Cambridge. Who does that? What kind of local are you if you say you live in Cambridge? No. You're a local if you say, I live in Hespler, I live in Preston, I live in Galt. That's what makes you a local. And yeah, I could be the faker Cambridge guy that lives in Hespler and just want to fit in with the rest of the Hesplerites. That's fine, right? But no one says, I live in Cambridge. It's always, I live in Galt, I live in Preston, I live in Hespler. That's it. That's it. And even even the conversations I have with people in, I was just in, I was just in Cambridge covering that shooting that happened earlier this morning, right? And people were talking to me. They didn't want to go on tape, obviously, because they were like, when they see a microphone, they get scared. But they even said, I, I wouldn't expect anything to happen in my Galt neighborhood. They don't say Cambridge. They just don't. They just don't. I feel like I've been on this, on this soapbox for too long. But I think it's a funny discussion that people bring up. And I'm glad that Kyle raised it. Uh, another Redditor said, majority of the time people mean downtown Galt. But I have seen it argued that Hespler Road could be called downtown Cambridge since it's a hub between the three town centers. Could be. Could be. But again, Cambridge Center was not always called Cambridge Center, right? I believe, and Paul might be able to correct me if he calls back. He's lived here a lot longer than I have. I believe it used to be called the John Galt Center. I believe. But we can put this conversation on ice unless Kyle or Paul want to call back. Chris is on the line. Chris. Yeah, I told your screener a while back, and he was going to pass a message on. All the mileage is calculated to where the city hall is. Okay. The city hall of Cambridge is in Galt. That's where the mileage is calculated from. City hall in Kitchener is downtown Kitchener. It's calculated from when you get to the city hall. So all cities in Canada, mileage is calculated to the city hall of that town. Chris, it makes perfect sense to me, and that's why I said downtown Galt, too. Oh, so you can put this to rest now. Everybody else is wrong. I'm right. All right. That's it. Hang up the phone. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. All right. Chris Chris says he's right. It's hard to argue with someone who says that they're right. But, I, I mean, I'm still arguing with Paul, who says he is right. And Kyle was asking a legitimate question, right? Where is downtown Cambridge? But, again, anyone who's from Galt or Preston might argue opposite. I've never heard someone say to me, well, Hespler's downtown Cambridge. No, it's not. Get out of here. Get out of here. Hespler's not downtown Cambridge. I'm just going through some more Reddit comments on this. But most, most people agree that it's downtown Galt as the real downtown of Cambridge. So, there you go. I hope we have solved something for you today. Andre's on the line. Andre, good afternoon. 
Hi, James Sebastian. Um, <laughs> bringing back good memories. <laughs> well, Cambridge. My uh, mom and dad used to live on St. Andrew Street in Gulf. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, you're 100% right. Um, of course, you're, you're in the management. But, uh, you know, City Hall and the bus terminal and all that, you know, to me, when you talk about downtown, it is, it is, uh, you know, Aisley and Gulf. <clears throat> and uh, the only thing that's confusing is because I, I, I always got lost there when I drove and I could see is uh, because of Hespler, people think it's downtown. It's because of that long stretch with all the malls and restaurants and the police station, all that stuff, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, you could argue that, I suppose. But to me, that's not the true definition of what downtown Cambridge is. Correct, and I agree with you. Yeah. Now, back to my point, James, um, Sebastian, is um, <clears throat> I wanted to continue talking about it because it's very important, to my opinion, my feelings about today, and I'm putting it out, and it's not easy. But there's a lot of people in my position, uh, especially, like I said, a little bit before COVID, and it got worse during COVID, and it's about uh, rent increase and everything happening. I know it's affecting a lot. Everybody, I should say. Everybody. It doesn't matter if you got money or no money. It's affecting everybody. And then we all have to adjust. And hopefully next year will be a better year and everything will be calm, you know, after the storm comes to calm. But what I'm saying and why, the reason I'm calling back, James, is, <clears throat> sorry if you don't mind I'm calling you that, um, is, like Mike said, I look into New Brunswick. I look into Nova Scotia, I look into up north, I look into Montreal, I look Calgary, and, you know, it's pushing me that far away for me to be able to be separated so I can finally give my wife that I've been with her for 14 years, because of my mental problem and all that, I'm not giving her a happy life, okay? That's my decision, and I'm being a better person. So the reason why I called is how can I do that in this economy of life, just like other people. Now, let's say I go to Timmins, and Timmins is a little bit cheaper. I don't need a job because I'm on WSIB. I got security until I retire. That's me. But how am I going to see my kids? How am I going to take them to, to school when my wife works? You know, I'm blind. There's no car. There's no travel. So that's pushing me away. So what, I'm going to have to go on Zoom and say hello to my kids? That's all I wanted to share, James Sebastian. All right, Andre, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to share that. And uh, I understand that it is difficult out there for people. I'm not going to uh, argue that in any way, shape, or form. People are struggling. Uh, Andre, I I commend you for having the... uh, for, for wanting to share that with the listeners. Obviously, that's not an easy thing to do. So I appreciate you. I commend you for doing that. But at the same time... Life has has made some of us have to make some decisions for what's better for us, even if it requires some sacrifice. And it shouldn't be that way. And it sucks that it's that way. And this area has blown up in the the cost of living so much that we're we have to be wired to think that way. And it's not a very good place to be. So, Andre. I can't make that decision for you, but at the same time, I think that if I were in your shoes, that's a conversation that I would likely recommend you having with your wife as well. Because if I were, if I were debating that for myself, I wouldn't want to have to 
see my kids over technology. Take that for what you want. But, Andre, I definitely get where you're coming from. It's not easy out there for people. It definitely isn't. We have to head to a break. Uh, We'll have more of uh, the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. All right, we have about, I don't know, six or seven minutes left. This was a fun talkback hour. Mike's missing out. But I do do appreciate him really just putting the ball in the tee for me with this whole Cambridge conversation. Like he, he could have set, he couldn't have set me up any better. And it got you talking, the engagement's there. I love it. We have Terry on the line. Terry, good afternoon. Go ahead. Hey, good afternoon. Uh, good, good intro tune there, Donna Summer. Can't beat that. Hey, um, I give credit to Devin for that. By the way, okay. that was not okay. me. That's all Devin. Excellent. Yeah, <laughs> give him a pat on the back. Good choice. Um, Hesper could never be uh, the center of Cambridge because when the three cities uh, came together like fifty years ago, they they were so mad that they aligned themselves with Guelph. So if anything, they should be downtown Guelph, Hesper. Hessler's still mad about that, Terry. Oh, Let's not God. pretend they like they, they haven't were, gotten over it. They were for the longest time. I'm <laughs> telling you, man, they were so incensed over that. But the reason I'm calling, James, is I know that uh, a while back when you were hosting, I um, I made a mention to Mike that uh, you, you were uh, dish, dissing uh, motorcycling. Do you remember that? And you said I was hard of hearing. I didn't hear you correct. I, well, I didn't say you're hard of hearing. I, I didn't use that no, term. Didn't. No, I didn't. I did not. I, I just corrected the record of what I was talking about with Kyle that day. That's all. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't say you're hard of hearing. No, no, no offense. I'm not offended, but I just thought you know maybe it's it wasn't a motorcycling issue. Maybe you said a, a, a marital issue because you know if you if your spouse doesn't allow you to ride a motorcycle, that's not the motorcycle's fault, then, is it? You're bringing my wife into this? Well, you said you said that she would leave you if you got a motorcycle. Isn't that what you said? No, I. That was tongue in cheek. Okay. That was tongue in cheek. She wouldn't be impressed if I got one. I'll say that. But okay. I, I will also say that I don't blame her for feeling that way because she knows how I would be on one of the, the motorcycles. Let's just say if I got a motorcycle, Terry, I would need to go to a track. Okay. Well, I can tell you, James, I've been I've been a licensed rider for 43 years, and I'm still kicking. So uh, as long my, as you watch out for, for objects around you and keep your head on a swivel, you have nothing to worry about. That, That's just me. Yeah, I no, mean, I, I appreciate that, Terry. And, and listen, I, I know that there is risks with anything that you do in life, and I'm not arguing that in any way, shape, or form. But my dad is also a licensed motorcyclist. My uncles are as well. They've They've had their run-ins let's just say with safety but at the same time not my dad but my uncles definitely have they my dad drives a harley uh my my two uncles uh they were more of the crotch rocket styled you know motorcycles that they liked so yeah yeah crotch rockets definitely uh, more 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 to be worried about but i'm just uh, saying james uh, you're missing out if that's that's that was your concern it's it's great fun and I as well have a Harley, and uh, the fastest I can get that thing to go is probably like thirty miles an hour. So I'm not going <laughs> to, you know, I'm not going to get into too much trouble unless, you know, unless unless I stop to pick up the parts that's falling off the damn bike. Right. So, hit, 
listen, Terry, I still get my fix. Let's just put it that way, okay? Excellent. Have yourself a great weekend. <laughs> okay, you too, Terry. Appreciate it. Oh, wow. Terry has a great memory in terms of the conversation that we had about motorcycles. I don't know if I said he was hard of hearing, but I just wanted to clear the record that day. That's all. That's all. We have Paul back on the line. Paul, go ahead. I'm going to dedicate the last three minutes to you, Paul. Listen, this has been one of the best uh, uh, shows in uh, in a long time. <laughs> it's, it's just hilarious. That's awesome. Uh, I, I I appreciate that. I, I'd like to share this with you. My, sure. my absolute favorite quote of all time was a quote by Abraham Lincoln. Okay. Who was known to have said, I read it on the Internet, so it must be true. <laughs> And I'm going to close out with this. This whole amalgamation thing sucks. We never should have accepted uh, Galton Hessler into our fold uh, 50 years ago. All right. I'll leave it at that, Paul. You have a great weekend. And, uh, hey, Mike, if you're listening, good luck tonight. Excellent. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Enjoy Preston this weekend, okay? I will. Take care. <laughs> Take care. There you go. There you go. Paul Paul said right there. We should have never let Galt and Hespler in on this Cambridge thing 50 years ago. He might be right. He also might be wrong. Some people might feel differently. But listen, I've never run into any local in Hespler, Galt, or Preston that say, I wish I lived in each of those other towns <laughs> or villages, I guess. I've never met one. You run into the people who were born in Hespler and they will stay in Hespler until they no longer have a heartbeat. That is, those are the Hesplerites. And then the, the, the Prestonians, you'll run into them and they are going to be in Preston for the rest of their lives. That's, and, and same with the, the people from Galt. That's just how it works, Right. It's how it works. You're never going to convince each of those other people who are from different parts of the, the, of the city to live anywhere else that they're not from. And on that, I'm going to leave you with this. Downtown Cambridge is downtown Galt. This is City News 570. <laughs>